There they are. The evil people who have been hiding right under our noses. The gig is up. How do you do the things you've done? What is your evil goal? Our plan began 35 years ago when a shell corporation was set up but improperly abetted by legal experts. After it lost our families too much money, all of us vowed never to be taken by surprise from the hidden workings of tax and corporate law again. After graduating with MBAs and finally making our way into global financial positions capable of redressing the balance, our student loan debts were still not being properly tended to, and we didn't make enough friends at the highest levels to get the rules changed in the right way. Soon enough, a solar eclipse burned out the records and sinister Geico agents came after us for insurance fraud, but- Shut up! Can we please just fight you now? Hey, paisanos, it's the Backtrack Brothers Super Show! We're the Backtrack Brothers, and old school our games. We're not like the others. You get all the fame. If your back left in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. Get hooked on the brothers. You're in for a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from our pieces of sweet. Come consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show. You'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And you have survived to another episode of the RPG Backtrack, where we talk about your favorite RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. I am your host, Phil Willis, and this is the one, the only, Mr. Mike Minky. I feel like I should have something grandiose to say here, but... After staring at AT&T records all day, I really don't want to. And this is a- after you after you've looked at six thousand freaking AT&T charges, only to find that no, that account hasn't been charged before. You probably won't want to talk very much either. I just want to drink beer. This is episode number one eighty three, and uh, oops, I don't know what the title is. Something about trails in the sky. Uh, Second chapter. I think the title is Estella Swell. Estella Swell. There you go. (laughs) And you know what's super swell is we've got two people with very confusing names to help us talk about this. First off, we have Mr. Kashua Jarpender. (laughs) Okay. How's it with that? Yeah. Having a good day? Ready to talk about some trails in the sky? Totally ready. I I, I heard heard you know a thing or two. You know, might be able to talk I, to I us. I've played these games a few times. Just, just once, twice, three times. These epic 100 plus hour RPGs. I, I may or may not have written a 10 page notes for this podcast. May or may not have. Just notes. That, that you would like to preserve uh, in some form because it was a significant level of work that you put into it and just tossing it out seems like a horrible waste. Yeah. Well, that. Don't don't worry, because I know that's a lot. But but we we have we have somebody to help you out. We have Messiah color jelly beans on the show. 
I already welcomed Miss Jelly. First off, that's not Cyan. even close. Cyan color. And, and second, I thought we was going to talk about Zillia today. Zillia? Zillia? Trails in the Sky Zillia? Tales of Zillia. Tales, ta- trails in uh, Zillia? Yeah, well, we, we ran into that slight problem of uh, you would probably be talking to yourself a lot because Phil and I, Phil, I haven't played Zillia. Have you played Zillia? Is that like a musical instrument? Like, do you play the xylophone? Do you play the Zilla? Uh, uh, maybe it is called that somewhere, but I, I believe we're talking about Tales of Zillia, which is indeed, it, it features musical instruments, but it is not exclusively a musical instrument. Oh, well, is that like Tales and Sonic? Because I played that one. T- Tales, Sonic, and t- Tales, Sonic, whatever. You're, well, you're reaching I- there. Yeah. I suppose we can talk about another T of game. Well, you know, you know, if it makes you feel any better, Miss Jelly Cyan, you know, I, I know what it feels like to be, you know, tasted something, get all excited about something, just to have it snatched away from you. And are you are you bitter about taking detecting some taking just giving you a little taste and then just rip it away from your hands and your lips? leaving you to die in a 15-floor dungeon. But it, it's okay. Uh, because... Maybe, Kelly, what you need to do is lean on wheels to make him actually play through the Zillias, and then we can get a, a dialogue going. Because it sounds like he hasn't played them. I don't know how that is. He was the big Tails guy for a while. What happened? I don't know. I, th- I feel like I've kind of replaced Wheels as the big Tails guy. But, I mean, I, I love the two Zillia games, but I love the two Trails games, too. So, I'm just as happy talking about the... Or you can try and persuade Adrian that he needs to get on here so that you can talk about him with him, but he hasn't been on a podcast in a long time. Oh, the problem is that everybody has played Zillia 1, but nobody but me has played Zillia 2. And Zillia 2 was actually my game of the year that year that it came out. Which year was that? Say what? Was that... 2013 or 2014? That might that, was, that might have been 2014. Hmm. I. Uh, oh yes, that that was the year I played that that thing, that horrible thing that Max sent me that took months of my life and spit them out and tore them apart, and I'll never get them back. Yeah. It's all thanks to Idea Factory. I feel like this is the going to be the not so passive aggressive episode of the RPG backtrack. <laughs> Uh, but don't worry, we're gonna do like well, that whole. That was definitely my anti game of the year. Yeah, well, I, I can't remember what <laughs> took the prize of actual enjoyment for the year, though. I'm just too just too caught up in the unending rage. Ah! Rage. We'll do the cri- we'll do the like criticism this? sandwich or the negativity sandwich. We just got some of it out now. That's one bun. We'll have a good meaty morsel main event that's going to be full of, I'm sure, just full of positivity. And and then we're going to go to the final lap where there may be some more venting. And, and there's our sandwich. So now that I've made all of you hungry who are listening to this, we're going to give you a break. Go to the fridge. You're going to want to get something good to eat because I can promise you there's a lot to talk about here uh, just in the story alone. And uh, we'll be right back with the main event.
Welcome back. This is the main event where we dive into a game or a couple of games and tear out its entrails just like we were hunting a monster in Monster Hunter and we turned it into shiny new armor. Today's main event, we are talking about The Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, second chapter. This was developed by Nihon Falcom. This was uh, brought to you on, oh boy, me. Published by somebody, Exceed, right? Was it published by? Yeah, Exceed. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. I'm used to saying that somewhere. It was uh, released. Uh, let's see here on the place. No, that's in Japan. When when did it come out? It came out on the PlayStation Vita and Vita? 2014. 20, yeah, it, they don't have that date here, but on the PC it says October 29, 2015. So we do have a PC version, right? But I don't know why they don't it, have yes. a Vita date on here. There was oh, okay. I, I know this. Bad Wikipedia. Wikipedia. There's. There was the original PC version in Japan. Then there was then they ported that to PSP. The PSP version added a couple little things. Then later on in Japan, there was a uh, HD version of that PSP version on the PS3. And then eventually, just a couple of years ago, there was a Vita version of this game as well. Mm. All we've gotten is the PSP version and a souped-up PS uh, PC version that included a bunch of the materials from that ps3 hd version so ah. the pc version that we got has like nice hd assets and it's actually in widescreen instead of the original Ooh. pc version like four by three yeah cool well uh this is a single player uh rpg experience and i've not experienced any of these games i have heard so much good stuff about them and then i saw mr mike meekie's review saying that these things were horrible only gave it a four out of five so I, I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say about Trails in the Sky, Legend of Heroes, Second Something. Go for it! Woo! Um, Let's talk about the... Kn- Go ahead. You know how you get so sucked into a book that you stay up late because you don't want to put the book down? That's what these games were like. Well, there you go. So let's uh, let's talk about... Let's start off talking about the... What do we talk about first? The story. Yeah, who wants to talk about the story? Lots and lots of juicy plot story. You have notes, oh. right? I heard you guys talk about notes earlier today. Do you have notes? Yeah, we've got extensive notes. Do you? Uh, yeah, which? Do you want to play tennis? Do you want to play tennis and do like chapter switch off? What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do, Kelly? We we sure can do that to give both of our voices a break. Because man, this is some George R R Martin level political intrigue. There is trails. Is just like it. It there is a ton of it. There's it is a very dense game. So we probably. Like, add the caveat, we apologize if we mess something up along the way. Because, goodness gracious, there is a ton of it. And make sure that if you hear any of those things and you feel the need to make a correction, to send that email to wheels at rpgamer.com. He'll, he'll love getting those. So, Trails uh, trails in the Sky, second chapter, it starts immediately after first chapter. Um, originally, this game was written as one gigantic game, first chapter and second chapter, and as Falcom was making it, they basically realized that this game was way too insanely long, so they split it into two separate games. So second chapter picks up right after first chapter. At the end of first chapter, Estelle and Joshua, with a little bit of help from their dad, Cassis, kind of managed to to defeat the defense systems that were underneath, that were buried underneath the uh, Rancial Castle. Unfortunately, in doing that, they unlocked a, ske- uh, unlocked a seal that was, turned out to be Ouroboros's plan all along. So after that, the uh, bumbling Professor Alba, who had been kind of a reoccurring a character in first chapter, um, revealed himself to Joshua to be actually the Professor Weissman 
and the, a member of Ouroboros. And he revealed to Joshua that he had been brainwashed this entire time and he had been betraying Estelle and his father and the uh, Bracers by funneling information back to uh, Ouroboros without their knowledge. So first chapter ends with Joshua kind of explaining his past to Estelle. He kisses Estelle on the top of the castle, but he's using, by using a sleeping potion, he puts Estelle to sleep. Estelle, second chapter opens with Estelle waking up the next morning. And Joshua's, uh, his famous trusty uh, harmonica is sitting on the nightstand. And Estelle kind of starts tearing the place apart looking. She starts tearing all over the castle. She finds her father and her father tells her that, you know, Joshua's left. He's gone to ground and she doesn't believe him. And then she starts kind of like tearing apart the city looking for him. And eventually she ends up kind of even going to the extreme, going all the way back to their old house. And it was, wasn't until all she gets all the way there that she finally kind of comes to terms with the fact that Joshua has left. And he's, he's yeah. gone around looking for, uh, looking to get back at Oracle. I so, seem to remember her not taking that lying down and being very assertive that she will get him back. <laughs> the, that whole scene is very heart wrenching because she just is inconsolable until she realizes that he's gone for good. And Cassie, as her father, tries to calm her down, and she pretty much tells him, "I hate you, Dad." And even Shara calls her dad a jerk for basically kind of leading her on to knowing that he was going to end up leaving them one day. <laughs> so. Okay. It Game starts Good. out with a gut punch. Totally. Especially in, in the case, like like we talked about, like this game, it took, what was it, like four years from when first chapter came out till second chapter finally came out? Yeah. Cause... Yeah, it might even be more than that. I, uh, first chapter came out on PSP long before it came out on PC, and that was still, geez, uh, at least two years before it finally, second chapter finally got localized. Yeah, so that, yeah, that... cliffhanger was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it when was also I read... really helpful because I had honestly forgotten some of the details until I got reminded like that. Yeah, I I ended up holding off until I knew that the second game was coming out in the in the U.S. because I didn't want to just leave a cliffhanger like that. Uh, that's I, part of the reason. Uh, that's part of the reason I played first chapter three times because I played it when it came out and then I played it again every time it got announced for release. Second chapter got announced for release. <laughs> I got to play first chapter because Mac gave me a code, and I think that was because he was feeling like I deserved something because he had given me the code to something that starts with ag and ends with rest and caused me no end of misery and wanted to make it up a little bit to me. <laughs> and you know what? Trails in the Sky, talk about low-hanging fruit, but it is indeed better than Agarest. I'm now let me give say, it an actual compliment. That, that's like getting McDonald's, only like seven-day-old McDonald's, and then the next day for dinner you get like a five-star filet mignon. <laughs> yeah, I had no real standards of comparison at the time. But it was nice of Mac. He didn't have to do that. Sometimes you have to do that when you review games. I'm sure you've noticed that, Joshua. You have to take the occasional... Uh, Not-so-great game, yeah. Take one for the team, I believe is the phrase. Yep, yep. Had to do that before. You, you sometimes <laughs> have to again, take the, I'm sure. the game that brings a new edge. It almost crosses you the wrong way. Phil, it's like you have a reminiscence of your own on this subject. 
No. That couldn't be, though. No. You only played great games when you did reviews. Yeah. Yeah, it was the best year of my life. Just just a field of unicorns and daisies. And See? we didn't even bring up your time in the abyss. No, no. I mean, no. Abysses can be fun. They're a fun way to pass the time. See, the trick to avoiding bad games is to don't do reviews. Yeah, just read them. Don't do them. Oh, just read well, them. That's the way we're going to do it. <laughs> but we digress. We do. Yes. So back to the story. Um, so since uh, Joshua has gone to ground and no one, it doesn't seem likely that anyone's going to find him, Estelle kind of like signs up for advanced bracer training. And she goes off and trains in another country for a couple of months. And um, that, that's basically the rest of the prologue. Although right here at the beginning of the game, you start... The, the game, I don't remember it doing this in first chapter. Basically, you start getting uh, flashes to both what Ouroboros is doing and then also what Joshua is up to, kind of usually at the end of the chapter or kind of like after major plot points. So mm-hmm. like in this one, you get your first little glimpse of Joshua and you find out that he's uh, hanging out now with the, the old Sky Pirates, the Capuas from the first game. Among them... Um... The female Sky Pirate with whom Estelle has a very adversarial relationship. That's Josette. Josette, thank you. Yes, Estelle doesn't react very well when she thinks any woman might be making a move on Joshua. Josette in the first game taught me very early on not to trust anybody in this game, and we'll see that much later. There's lots of that in this game. You could make a drinking game out of it. And then you could. At the end, we also get kind of like a small little glimpse of what Ouroboros is up to. You get your first introduction to several of the enforcers in Ouroboros, Campanella and Lowe and Weissman. And they talk a bit about the gospel plan and foreshadow some of the uh, some of the other enforcers that we'll be dealing with for the next few chapters. So that's on to chapter one. <laughs> oh, yes. And Estelle gets a new outfit now, which is much heavier on orange than her old one was. And, and has a skirt. And I don't think her levels carry over either. It carried over uh, somewhat. It it depended on where you were in the first game. It like the higher you were in the first game, it was like I don't remember the exact number, but it was like ranges carried over a certain range got you level thirty five and plus some items. And if you were a higher level, you got like level forty plus some more advanced item. So there were a few little things that carried over, but it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't massive. It wasn't your exact statistic. I had got too spoiled on Dot Hack where everything carried over, but then again, that was also a four-part game that kind of had to be like that too. But I digress. So am I up? If you want Sounds to like chapter, it. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so chapter one, Sneaking Shadows. <clears throat> Estelle and Anisra arrived back from Grandsell, fresh graduates from training. There haven't, hasn't been much sign of Ouroboros, but undocumented monsters have been showing up across the country from the Bracer Guild. And the Bracer Guild wants you to in- investigate and exterminate. So, side quests. Yay! Lots of side quests in this game. Yeah. So now you get to choose your party member to go with, either Sherazad or Gate. Either way, you head to the port town of Ruan. And now, I pick... now, Kelly, I have to ask, since you played these in quick succession, did it seem like you were going through the towns a little too much when you when you quickly went through them again in second chapter? It it seemed like it, but it didn't really bother me that much because I think it kind of brought you back in the same order. Well, 
like you started off at the the very end at the last game and then you kind of started off at the very beginning because that whole map is kind of one big ring around the world if i'm remembering correctly yeah with the no, capital right. at the center yeah so and, and plus um losing my train of thought here Plus, I played these portably, so I didn't really marathon them. I kind of played them in chunks. So a lot of it was still, I'd kind of forgotten a bunch of the first, I had played the first game so sporadically that I'd kind of forgotten a lot of it by the time I got around to the second game. And, and with link, lengthy games like these, it's probably not a terrible idea to kind of take your time with them. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't really notice it. So now the elections are going on in Ruan as you busted the mayor for the crimes in first chapter. And reports have been coming in of a white shadow at night from across the province. So we have to investigate. And we get our first glimpse of Reen here. A seemingly cute little girl, but we'll know better. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that she's kind of gothy in her appearance might not mean anything or maybe it does the fact that she's just a little seems like a little bit too cute and innocent yeah just a touch and suspiciously present at a whole bunch of highly important events a little later hmm now the the law of economy of characters has no application no she she was too she's too cute there's nothing wrong with her right in fairness, this game knows nothing about the economy of characters. There are hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of named NPCs. So it's then, true. So then Olivier shows up, managing to break up the fight between the two sides of the mayoral race in the most Olivier way possible, i.e. playing a boat down a river and singing a song, which that, that gave me a good laugh. Oh, he's such a hoot. <laughs> And then, thanks to investigating sites all over the province, they discover that the ghost seems to be coming from Genus Royal Academy. They poke around and finally see the ghost heading towards the old school building. And Estelle was all, oh, of course I'm okay. Why wouldn't I be okay? When have I ever given the impression that ghosts paralyzed me with fear? That's silly. We're going to go to the schoolhouse, punch the ghost in the face, and drag them back to the guild. I love Estelle. <laughs> she, she's yep. my favorite character, hands down. So as soon as they enter, they find hints on cards pointing them in the right direction, just like a side quest back in FC. This leads them to the hidden basement at the end of the dungeon, and they meet up with oh, Ouroboros Enforcer Number 10, the mysterious, gentlemanly Phantom Thief Blue Blank. Wait, Phan Phantom Thieves, that's not Persona 5. <laughs> <laughs> And turns out he has been behind the ghost sightings, basically using a hologram with ancient equipment beneath the old school with a black orbit, the gospel from FC. And he has a trick up his sleeve, another giant mecha he has control over that was hidden inside the school. And once that is defeated, he is able to freeze you in your place using the shadows. But luckily, roving reporter Dorothy shows up, snaps a picture of the ghost, and the flash eliminates your shadows so that you're free. Now, as I recall, Dorothy did this while being her usual pretty much clueless self, right? Yeah, totally. Okay. She, just kind of she just kind of blunders in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but without opening her eyes, that, that, that's, that's a rarity for Dorothy. Uh, unfortunately, Blue Blank is able to escape away safely. And after that battle, Olivier and Chloe decide to join your party to find Joshua. So, yay, more party members. 
Yeah, and that kind of becomes the theme in the first, what, four chapters where you fight a boss and then they teleport away at the end after you beat them. <laughs> so you can fight them again later on in the game. It's as well, if this game well, was inspired fair, by anime. To be fair, you're not strictly fighting them in these chapters. You're fighting uh, a thing that they've thrown up to have you fight instead. True enough. For the, for the most part. So then we move on to Chapter 2, The Raging Land. We're off to Zeiss, the manufacturing capital of Labral. And as soon as they show up, a giant earthquake rocks the city. Apparently, these earthquakes have kind of started happening, and they're extremely local in nature. So it's like it's not an earthquake shaking the whole, the entire province like a normal earthquake would be. It's more like an earthquake just shaking one building. So after meeting with Professor Russell and Tita, we, um, uh, they, they, they uh, of course, come up with an invention to help you. And you have to go and set up sensors all across the, uh, all across the province. And as you're doing that, you hear reports about a man wearing a dark suit with dark gloves and dark glasses who's been seen around the areas where the earthquakes are happening. So after setting up some monitoring devices... Another earthquake happens, and and using the uh, monitoring devices, they discover where the earthquakes are originating from. So once we go back into, I believe it was a mine back behind the uh, uh, the hot springs. Yes, yes, there definitely is. I remember that. Yep, I do too. <laughs> oh, I think there was also a hot springs uh, interlude in this chapter. But of course, because it wouldn't be an anime game without a hot springs episode. Of course. <laughs> well, we have the hot springs. We have to use them. Otherwise, anyway, why are they there? Exactly. This is a JRPG. So once we're in the kind of the headwaters of the hot springs, we meet the next Ouroboros enforcer. This is enforcer number eight, Walter the Dire Wolf. Walter uh, is apparently he knows both uh, Zen, as he's called now. I believe he was Zane originally in the uh, PSP translation, as well as uh, Killicup, the local bracers branch head. And they were all taught under the same martial arts at martial arts master. I believe it's set off in the east. I, don't, I can't remember if they say specifically if it's in Calvert or not, the Calvert Republic or not. So many details in this game to keep straight. Anyway, Walter just about has the party beat, but uh, Oliver and Zen show up just in time to kind of rescue. But once again, the enforcer is able to uh, get away. Now, now Zin has joined our party, and Tita, of course, the little bundle of cuteness, has also joined our party going forward. And Tita, the bundle of cuteness who carries around artillery. <laughs> That's part of what makes her cute. <laughs> it's true. When I think of little girls, I think of them carrying howitzers, don't you? Totally. <laughs> hey, she's a glass cannon, though. She's awesome. I love Tita. You, you get so much more of, you finally get to meet her mother in Trails Third, and she's just an absolute. But um, <laughs> anyway, at the, at, at the closing of Chapter 2, we see uh, Colonel Richard, who was the instigator of the uh, coup in first chapter. We see his former right hand, Kanoe, kind of plotting his escape in the shadow, kind of foreshadowing things to come in the next chapter. Oh boy, now we get to Mad Tea Party. <clears throat> I think now our party is heading back to the capital as the army wants help to help protect the signing of a non-aggression treaty between Arid Arabonia, Liberal, and Calvard. Pardon me if I butcher any of these names. I have had a beer. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I think you're doing just fine, but we'll we'll see if you want to haste Phil. That might not give you a good idea tonight. So the first job is finding a lost girl who, guess who, happens to be Reen. Since her parents are missing, you take her back to the guild and leave her to play with Tita. Now you do a mission in the Calvert Embassy where you can see the Doll Knight book, which gives a lot of foreshadowing about Reen. And then Shara and Annalise confront Cap. Capanella and finds plans for the larger orbital vehicle and notes about a tea party. <clears throat> now Reen engages the party in a huge game of hide-and-seek, leaving clues around the capital to follow. Once found, Reen gives Estelle a letter supposedly from Joshua asking her to meet, because, you know, this is just going to go perfectly well. Of course, this was an Ouroboros trap to split the party up, and it turns out that Captain Canone is working with Ouroboros, planning to kidnap Duke Dunnan and use a powerful tank to storm the castle and force the rulers of Colonel Richard. So, boss fight, huge battle against the tank. This Once game has some pretty crazy and epic boss fights. Oh, I know. <laughs> <sighs> Once defeated, we learned that Rain was the one orchestrating this all along. You mean to tell me that this cute little girl was a bad girl the whole time? <laughs> it sounds like you are telling me that. But no, cute little girls never turn evil. Uh, listen to this dialogue. Reen, did everyone enjoy the tea party? I thought the explosions and screams were the best myself. Just a side note, she creeped me out. (laughs) (laughs) She's such a delightful little psychopath. (laughs) And she uses a scythe, of course. Oh, yeah. If if Tiny Tina from Borderlands and Chucky had a baby. But we learn that Reen is enforcer number 15, the Angel of Slaughter, and she brings out Hater made her, her puppet, i.e. a mecha that she flies away on it. And a note from the Wikipedia, uh, Pater Mater was Latin for mother-father, which I I didn't realize until I looked it up, which is kind of an interesting it's little side It's kind of perfect, note. actually. Yeah. Since she's kind of without parents. <laughs> yeah. Now we get to Estelle's oath to drag Reen out of the Society of Ouroboros by the scruff of her neck if she has to. So I, I say that she should have just given her a spanking. <laughs> Hard anyway. to spank girls who have giant mecha that can stop you. <laughs> and, a, and a scythe handy that will just cut your arm off. Yep. Disembowel you. <laughs> so I think game... it would cut your arm off. Ren looks like the kind of person who would keep it very, very sharp. So the game keeps showing off bits of what Ouroboros is doing behind the scenes here with Rena low recapping the Tea Party event. They plan to make Estelle one of their friends, which doesn't bode well at all. And now the party is off to Bose to chase the Sky Bandits from the... Uh, from the first game, thanks to a photo by Dorothy, um, Estelle learns that Joshua has taken up with the Sky Bandits, and I imagine she probably wasn't too happy about that. Not so much, especially since, uh, uh, oh, what's her name? Josette was in the picture, too. I think that's yeah. what she was most upset about, seeing the tomboy yeah. with her. <laughs> Catfight. Oh, yeah. And then we get the flashback of Joshua and the Sky Pirates stealing back the airship to Bobcat. Which I really like the scenes with Joshua and the Sky Pirates because it kind of humanized them. And I don't remember at this point in the game, is the leader of the Sky Pirates uh, unbrainwashed? Yeah, he was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really liked the Sky Pirates. They were really cool. I 
Yeah, I love this little section because, you you know, you're playing long in the game and you're like level 40-ish or maybe touching level 50. And then you get to play with Joshua and he's like level 72 and he just rips everything to shreds. And yeah. you just kind of get the sense of like how much more powerful Joshua is than all the other characters. And it gives you that little hint of like the difference between like a true Ouroboros enforcer and then just like a normal person. Oh, I know. Play, playing as him was so badass at this point. <laughs> so that moves us on to Chapter 4, The Mist Demon's Target. So even though we were leaving to go to Bose, we get detoured to Roland, back back to Estelle's home because of a mysterious fog. Ooh, spooky. Could, so it, be, gonna... uh, could it be originating from Ouroboros? Maybe. Maybe. Spoilers, goodness. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody. If the sinister fog turns out to have a sinister origin. <laughs> what was it? With, what was it with RPGs and fog? Well, fog is just terrifying. I, I I don't know what to tell you. When I go out and I see fog, I am inherently terrified, and I want to run back inside the house and not go to work that day because it just it just saps me to to the core. I don't. I can't stand it. I'm gonna get wet. Maybe it's my inner goth that thinks that fog is beautiful. I will say for the, you know, for the fog in this chapter, they did a pretty nice job, at least on the PC version of like slowly building it in. Like every single part of the chapter, it got thicker and thicker and a little bit harder to see. Mm -hmm. They actually did a good job with that. Agreed. So anyway, we we now get some of uh, Shazirazad's backstory about how she was a member of a traveling circus troupe before joining the Bracer Guild. Hey, maybe that will be important later this chapter. Hint, hint. Anyway, about halfway through the chapter, people start falling ill, and now we suspect that the mysterious bog, the fog is to blame. It's like their souls are trapped by something. No one has witnessed the people who are collapsing from the fog, and the fog's reach just keeps expanding further and further out into the province, and now fog beasts are appearing. Thankfully, uh, they get a tip into the uh, Bracer Guild that they that someone hears a bell sound coming from Mistwall, the forest in the south of Roland. Um, so you have to go and explore Mistwald, which, if I recall correctly, is kind of like like those endless forest zones in Zelda, where you're kind of like having to figure the right path through, or it kind of dumps you back earlier if you pick the wrong path. I think that was like that. I could be misremembering. Anyway, once you reach the end, you discover another gospel being used on a giant tree kind of in the center of the forest. And this is what seems to be creating the fog. And I think you hear a bell and then Estelle kind of like drops into a dream sleep. Actually, everyone drops into a dream, dreaming slumber. And Estelle has this dream about the past, kind of where she's in the past, where her mother was still alive and kind of like she has to... She's kind of reliving, essentially in the dream, she's like reliving her life back when she was a little kid and her mom and dad, her mom was still alive, living with her dad. And so she kind of has to break out of like this wonderful, you know, tender moment that she has. And she does it by finding Joshua's harmonica in the dream and playing the whereabouts of light, kind of that song that Joshua is always playing on the harmonica throughout both of these games, it snaps her out of it. So now we meet the enforcer who's been behind this, Luciola, the bewitching bell, enforcer number six. This is the woman from the circus troupe who had taken care of Shazirzad, almost like an older sister or a mother when she was a child. She's been using the gospel along with her own talents to manipulate the dreams of people in Roland. 
So, you know, after this, after kind of like giving her little spiel, she once again disappears. But thankfully, the fog is lifted and returned to. So once again, we get another at the end of the chapter. There's another little bad guy interlude. It tells us that the one thing from the earlier games, there were one of the big parts of it was these uh, towers. There are towers in every single uh, province of of uh, Libral. And uh, kind of now they're kind of giving a little bit of foreshadowing that the, these towers are forming some sort of barrier in defending the areole from all angles. What exactly is the areole? Well, that, that kind of comes later. And now we also learn that Weissman and Lowe are trying to hijack a creature of legend. Sounds like more foreshadowing for the next chapter. Indeed. <clears throat> and then we start chapter five, that that one must protect. And we are finally back on track to Bose, the only place to not have an experiment yet. Uh, knock on wood, I guess. But this time, there's a mi- no immediate signs of Ouroboros activity, so the party just keeps doing basic quests until something shows up. So, yay, more side quests. If you haven't gotten used to it by now, then I'm sorry. that That's the way the first five chapters work. <laughs> and, Revisiting and doing side quests. And... You kind of want to do them because you want your bracer points to go up. Though I can't remember what the reward was for having lots of bracer points. I totally don't remember either. I did it and got all the bracer points, but I don't remember what the reward was. Yeah, I think I I remember a lot of these quests are very strictly time limited. If you move on and do anything, then boom, you're out. Yeah, that's totally a thing in trails. Like if you're not playing this thing with a guide, you have to be talking to every NPC all the time or you will miss quests. It's and you have happen. to make sure that you are talking to NPCs and not the wrong NPC that will advance the plot. Oh, yeah, that's t- <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> that can happen. I think it happened to me a couple of times. I blundered into a room thinking, oh, OK, I'll I'll get this i'll find this lost cat or whatever it was and oh crap the story's advancing too late <laughs> and that's part of the problem because so many of the npcs are kind of like fun it's, it's one of my favorite parts about these games is that the npcs are pretty interesting to talk to they're more mm-hmm. than just like hey i'm a blacksmith i'll make you some new weapons like no they'll tell you about their lives and their marital problems and <laughs> What they had for dinner last night. Yeah, if you go by just the pl- the central narrative dialogue, this isn't too heavy, not compared to some other games out there. It's just all the reams and reams of NPT- NPC text that caused this to take so long to get localized because Xseed, for some odd reason, didn't want to half-ass it and have some crappy, poorly translated dialogue in there that people would notice and get drawn out of the game by. And, and, and so you, much. Oh, go ahead. No, you can't really blame them for what to, wanting to do a good job on the localization if uh, Sweet Code and Two's localization was any indication. <laughs> what? Yeah, and, and, um, Sweet Code and Two like didn't even translate a whole town. I remember Sweet Code and Two. I remember it not being well translated, but I also wouldn't call it the worst translation I've ever seen. No, but it could have been so much better too. Yes. Yes, it could have. <laughs> and yep. yet it is still better than Breath of Fire 2. <laughs> we don't talk about that. Now, having ex- established that XC did a better job than Capcom in the 16-bit era of translating RPG text, let's continue. 
So once we're done with 30 hours of side quests and talking to NPCs, something does show up. A giant dragon that attacks the market in the middle of bows under con- control of Lowe, Enforcer number two, Lionheart the Blade Lord. And the dragon flies off and you have to clean up the wreckage of the market. Unfortunately, that dragon has flown to Ravenay Village and torched orchards there. And uh, our buddy Agate has chased after it. Agate and Lowe engage in an elaborate sword fight while Estelle and the others attempt to reach them through cut-off paths in a mine. And Lowe wins the fight, but the party shows up just in time and Tita jumps in front of Agate to save him. Luckily, the army comes to the rescue with the airship assault, causing the dragon, Ragnar the Ancient, to retreat. With Lowe ominously noting that this is the last experiment, and with it, the plan is about to enter the next stage. And now it's time to learn about Agate's Backstory. Rivene Village ended up in the front lines of the Hundred Days War, and most of the town was laid to waste, and many civilians died, including Agate's sister. There's also a fairly, fairly large scene as the liberal airships attempt to flush out the dragon, lure it over a huge lake, and tank it down with tranquilizers. Once on the ground, the party realizes that a gospel is placed on the dragon's head, and apparently that's what's controlling it. Uh, the dragon wakes up, eludes, and outruns the patrol ship and loses them in the midst of the Nebel, Nebel Valley. And a gate has gotten special weaponry for destroying the Gospels, but the team has to beat the dragon so he can use it. And an awesome battle ensues as Ragnard is just huge. I, I remember that. I think he took up the whole screen. He did. He was just absolutely gigantic. <laughs> and that fight was pretty epic because, I, if I recall, a gate just plunges the sword right into the dragon's forehead and destroys the gospel. Yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then that's when the dragon starts talking to you via telepathy and thanks you and wants you to know that he's sorry for all that he did. So good to know that he feels bad. I, I think he gives you money to hand out as well. Like, here, <laughs> here, pay the people that, that had stuff destroyed. Do that for me. And we also find out that Cassius sought out to fight with the dragon in his younger days because, you know, got to build up that Cassius mythos. And then we learned that it was just to see if a gospel of the Ariel could subvert a will as strong as the dragon's, which sounds like foreshadowing to me. <clears throat> and then in the aftermath, Lowe shows up at the Revenue Memorial to lay flowers as he takes a swipe at General Morgan about Hamill. And then we also get an interlude with Joshua and what he's up to, and he's going all Metal Gear Solid in an Ouroboros ship. <laughs> so that moves us on to Chapter 6, The Whereabouts of Bonds. So this chapter starts with the the bracers have finally gotten the lead on an idea on where the Ouroboros base is. But the mission can't start for a couple of days, so the team gets to take some R&R down on Valyria Lake, which turns out to be pretty opportune because the bracer Kurt, who was kind of tracking down the lead on this base, floats up unconscious in a boat. Kurt isn't able to remember what happened. This is actually the second time in this series that his memory has been wiped. But uh, Father Kevin is there, and he's able to mend his memory. Which I don't know that we mentioned Father Kevin before, but he's a, he's a new character to the to the series. To, yeah, to he's been he's been wandering around, meeting Estelle a few times, joining her, but not permanently yet. And yeah, he he's a very nice guy. He's 
he's a father, so he has some religious, but he he's definitely not a zealot or anything trying to convert people. He's not exactly what you think of with a priest. Especially not in a JRPG where it tends to vilify religion. <laughs> Though, yeah, he, he's is- an easygoing, very pleasant fellow who seems to be a little absent-minded and not terribly great at his job. Seems to be. Seems to I, be. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the anime Trigun, but he reminded me of Vash the Stampede and Nicholas Wolfwood. Not familiar with it, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were just making a uh, allusion to that. Yeah. yeah. I saw I saw Trigun well over 10 years ago. I don't remember much, but in looks, yeah, he definitely does kind of look like Vash. <laughs> a, a lot of stuff, in, well, Trails in the Sky is like 10 years old, so a lot of the stuff in it kind of takes from anime from 10 years ago. So... Yeah, there's a lot of old anime in it. So now the the team has to uh, infiltrate the research base on the shores of a lake. It's protected by a dummy projection in the sky to prevent aerial scouting. You know, kind of a throwback to the first chapter. And then a fog springs up if you get too close to it. Hey, we've seen that before, too. So and there's enforcers protecting it. And those are the ones who took out Kurt's team. So and the then team, being being a Roboros, this is, of course, a trap. A giant trap. <laughs> they managed to find the research facility, and initially it appears to be kind of defended by robots, but they don't see any, uh, there's no actual people that they find. And as they're fighting their way through their facility, they have to fight their way past the other Bracer members of Kurt's team who are kind of, bit, who have been brainwashed. And fighting our way through, we learn that, one of the bracers tells you that she saw Joshua in the facility. So you're now chasing badly after Joshua. But it turns out, yes, it was all a trap. Weissman, Lowe, and Wren knock everyone out with gas and capture Estelle. And they take her away on an airship. And Estelle wakes up on Ouroboros's new base, the glorious, a monstrous airship. And I do mean monstrous. It just absolutely dwarfs any other kind of airship we've seen in the game so far. If I recall, wasn't there, like, huge soldiers that could one-shot you if you got in battles with them on this? Or am I mistaken? There were nasty mecha on the ship, and I don't think anyone that would one-shot you. <laughs> yeah. I know that you were kind of encouraged to sneak around. In that I, don't remember, of- I don't remember any enemies with death magic. There are, there are enemies in this game with death magic and just kill you in one go, but I don't remember them in this. Oh. Could be, could be, could be, I could have forgotten. And I also remember just getting horribly lost in that ship, too. That, everything kind of looks the same in that mm. ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really does. Everything's kind of red, and, and the, the different sections all look identical, and there's like this big main corridor with like, a left, a middle, and a right corridor, and you have to keep moving back and forth between them because there's, like, uh, pressure doors blocking your path. Yeah, it, it gets quite kind of convoluted. It's big, yes, and it takes a while to get around, but I don't remember getting seriously lost because it doesn't make a point of trying to make a maze out of the place. Every Every corridor does go somewhere, and once you get to the end of it, you can say, all right, I'm not going that way again. And the elevators have they take you to a specific spot, and it's easy to figure out where to go. I'm just trying to say that by the standards of confusing, confounding RPG dungeons, this is not one of them as far as I'm concerned. I've no. 
No, I mean, I, I've, I'm thinking of Fantasy Star 2 for some reason for well, confusing, yeah. confounding dungeons. Yeah, that one's pretty bad. I mean, and yeah, you're right. It wasn't that bad. I just remember that because a lot of the structure was pretty samey. It was hard to remember where you had been and where you were supposed to go. Especially if you're playing this portably and kind of yeah. picking it up and putting it down. Yeah, that too. Yeah, that I can happen. see that. So this is kind of one of those another times where you kind of see that Ouroboros has much better tech than like the normal political powers in this game. So anyway, once Estelle wakes up, Ren is there to greet her. Oh boy. And she takes you on a tour of the massive ship. So now we're finally to the part of the game where the bad guy, in this case, Professor Weissman, kind of tries to lure the hero over over to their side. He starts explaining... um, he starts answering questions and explaining that he was behind the coup and that the gospel's plan is about unleashing the aureole, however you pronounce that, which, <laughs> which you know, like mo- most of he, although he tells you he'll answer your questions, he seems to answer most of your questions with kind of vague questions almost. Aureole just looks like uh, a part of the, a part of your anatomy in the lungs to me. Maybe that's just me. It's weird, but we're, we we get to that in another couple of chapters, don't we? <laughs> we do, yes. And it's much, much too big to fit in the lung. <laughs> oh, man, you're getting me thinking about Xenoblade and traveling through lungs. Anyway, <laughs> um, so he, he also reveals, uh, you know, kind of the backstory of what he, you know, how, how he took in Joshua and kind of like formed him and brainwashed him into this horrid, you know, sneaking assassin. So now all the uh, enforcers have shown up and they're they're asking Estelle to join Ouroboros and they're trying to kind of like dangle Joshua out there as the the carrot to kind of get her to join. They're like saying, you know, if you join here, Joshua will come back and you two can be together. So they leave her to kind of like ponder her ponder the potential ponder her options, which they don't exactly say what happens when she doesn't join them, but. That leads into a little interlude with Lowe, where he explains some backstory. This is where we learn about Lowe's ties to Josh. Apparently, the three of them were all... uh, uh, Oh, excuse me. Um, uh, Lowe and Joshua were friends in a small village in Errol Hammond. And Joshua, along with uh, Sister Karen and Lowe, were all close friends. And so now we're kind of getting the backstory on him. Um, The... These were kind of like the three of them were kind of like the only young people in the village, so they were together. Anyway, ten years ago, a band of invaders with them black and Lebrolian weapons the village started women, children, no one was any of them. Hey. Hello. You were cutting out bad. Uh oh, yeah. I'm cutting out. Yeah, let me call you right back here. Please pardon the interruption as we are experiencing technical difficulties beyond our control. They're not beyond the control of Skype, but Skype does not care enough to actually try to fix them. Ah, these technical difficulties brought to you by Utah Beer. You there? Yeah. Where was I at? Well, we lost you about maybe 30 seconds ago. (laughs) (laughs) So just rewind. You were starting to get into the backstory of Lo and Joshua and... Karen or Karen or whatever the Karen, heck you pronounce, you pronounce that. Yeah. However, when, the when they don't have any voice acting, it can be hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So uh, this all revolves around the, the, the small village of Hamel, which is in Erebonia, but right on the border of Lebrol. And the three of them were friends. And 
One day, I think it was 10 years ago, a band of invaders garbed in black and armed with Lebralian weaponry encircled the village and started slaughtering everyone inside. Like women, children, babies, the elderly, no one was spared. Um, three of them, though, were kind of outside the village, away from you know where this was happening, and so they ran for it. And Lowe kind of got separated as this, you know, trying to lead off the... Pre- but when he caught up to the other two, he saw that Karen was grievously wounded and Joshua had a gun where he had obviously just shot the killed Karen. So this kind of became the Erebonian Empire's passus belly to start the, the Hundred Days War with Labral. And it was obviously done by some sort of faction with it, Erebonian could start. And once the war ended in, the government kind of like discovered that some faction within the government had, the overall government decided, discovered that someone had done this to kind of start the war. And they worked hard to cover it and kind of keep anyone associated. So after learning about all of this, we, we, this kind of gives Stell push that she kind of redouble her effort to save Josh. So now Stell has to try and break out. So you work your way all the way through this, make it up next, and uh, my, my personal favorite trash can, Gilbert. Uh, now. He's cutting out okay. again. Oh! No. Don't walk it to the line. Don't do oh, no. it. It's cutting out. It was cutting out. Not now, of course, we can hear you say that. We can hear your objections to being cut out, but it must be Skype. Skype is doing something. Skype is being evil. Everyone sounds fine. You sound fine now. Yeah, that's weird. Weird. Skype being weird. Anyway, where where was I? On top of the on the top deck of the ship. Yeah, Estelle starts her breakout attempt. Estelle starts her breakout attempt. She gets onto the top deck of the Glorious, and we meet my favorite human trash can, Gilbert, the uh, former steward to the mayor of Ruin. So Estelle makes fun of, <laughs> I just love this, that Estelle kind of makes fun of him for screaming like a girl in the earlier game. He's like, remember how you screamed back when you got roughed up by those special op guys at the lighthouse? Do you really think you're cut out for combat? It was all high-pitched, too. <laughs> <laughs> so after after beating the crap out of him, more reinforcements show up, but one of them turns on his comrades, attacks all of them with lightning speed, and it turns out, pulls his helmet off, and it turns out it's Joshua. He's come to save Estelle. <laughs> dun, dun, dun! Which, at this point, I mean, goodness, you've already been going like 40 or something hours. <laughs> you've been waiting for so long to see Joshua and Estelle finally kind of start getting back together. You know, I know what it's like to wait 30 or 40 hours just to see something basic happen, just to have it be drug out. But we'll save that for the final app, won't Ew. we, Mr. Minky? <laughs> Won't we? <laughs> Phil, I, I don't remember Akira Toriyama having anything to do with the Trails in the Sky series. Save that rage. Just save it. Oh, it's save. It's festering. The interest is growing. Oh, yeah. It's coming, boys and girls. All right. I- so at, at this point, Lowe shows up again. But, but thankfully, Joshua has kind of thought ahead and has sabotaged the uh, Glorious's engine. So he kind of heads off a fight with Lowe at this point. Lowe has to kind of run and save the engines to keep the whole ship from going down. And so Joshua and Estelle escape on a small airship, harassed by several Ouroboros ships. Just as it looks like they're about to be shot down, the Sky Bandits show up and save the day. <laughs> Our good old friends. And now that Joshua and Estelle are reunited. We, we kind of get the full details of Joshua's sister as she was kind of like, oh man, it was way more horrible than I remembered. 
like she was about to be assaulted by the uh, soldier and Joshua attacked him and he was thrown off, but he managed to grab the gun and then Joshua just shot the soldier. But unfortunately, the soldier wasn't dead and he kind of came after Joshua with a knife and Karen dove in between them and protected Joshua. And that was the wound that killed her. So Joshua is just like kind of this pit of you, you finally kind of get to see that Joshua has become this pit of self-loathing and that he blames himself for his death. And now he's kind of like scared of getting too close to anyone that, he, you know, he might lose them again. And Estelle just kind of won't take any of this crap from him. And, you know, they, they she embraces him on the beach and Joshua starts crying. And I used to start crying when we get to this. One of the only times a video game's ever made. Yeah, that that scene, you know, kind of got my allergies going and only allergies. I wasn't crying. It, it, it was, you know, pollen. You just, know, just pollen. You know, yeah, I, I was crying this week, just saying, a certain game that broke my heart, <laughs> teased me a little bit, and Phil, then, then Phil just dropped me it. down into a dungeon that would Phil, never end. I, I think Phil is suffering from demons that we may not be able to clear or cure tonight. Phil, this may require serious psychiatric examination at the long-term level. Phil, it's okay. Go have another beer. It, it's fine. Just just go have another beer. Uh, no, in, in all seriousness, that, that Joshua Estelle scene just broke me. I mean, absolutely broke me with how heart-wrenching it was. You know, I... I I'm an emotional person, and I'm I'm the type of person that loves people a lot, particularly my husband. And I just couldn't imagine reuniting with somebody like that after all that them two went through. It, it was heart-wrenching. I'm not even usually that emotional about it, but that, that game just totally... You've spent, you know, like a hundred hours or whatever by this point with these characters, and you just mm-hmm. totally feel for them. And they did such a good job with that scene. It was just, it was laid out so well. I remember the beachfront reunion scene being really effective. That was, that was a great job on behalf of the developers. Kudos to Falcon. They have some pretty good, they have some good scenes. <laughs> so anyway, as we reach the end of this chapter, we, we get another little glimpse of the enforcers. They're now stationed at all the various towers, apparently ready to start whatever on earth their plan is, somehow using gospel in conjunction with the towers to liberate the Ariole. And now we get to chapter seven, the Tetracyclic Towers. And this is when crap starts hitting the fan. There's giant monsters attacking towns, and the Brazers have to deal with the strange phenomena that are emanating from the tower. But thankfully, what, like 100 hours in, you finally get an airship to do all this stuff. So, yay, no more walking. And uh, we'd also forgotten Oliver. Is it Oliver or Olivier? Olivier, I think is how you would pronounce that. And I can't I always, tell you, I always say it as Olivier because it, Lawrence Olivier. That's the only yeah. other time I've seen that name. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, at this point, Olivier has been kind of acting a little bit strange. And he says that the next time they meet, they will be foes. And that he was working with Chancellor Osborne this whole time. So another character, another character betrayal. Take your drink. And then as you go into the towers, you have a strange black aura that surrounds you, and you go into another dimension. So, yay, another new dungeon, and not the towers again for the 20th time. 
you fight Blue Bunk again for the first fight, and you manage to defeat him, and the black aura disappears, but Blue Bank gets away, because of course he does. And then Walter is defending the second tower, and Killika shows up and gives the middle of the solo match between Walter and Zen. And, uh, oh yeah, Killika and Walter had a thing, apparently. Yeah, I had forgotten about that when they played the game. Those three have a deep history together. Yeah. That only kind of only even kind of gets touched on here. Yeah. I, I guess we'll have to wait for a Calvert game to actually get all that story. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third tower is Luciola, and after beating her, we learned that she murdered the leader of the circus troop when he told her that it was breaking up, and she pushed him off a cliff. So uh, she didn't take that well. No kidding. So why'd she kill him if the circus was going to go away anyway? It, it comes up later. Okay. <laughs> I just think seemed, I put that in. That just seems counterproductive. Yeah, she's she's a little off. <laughs> and then the and fourth, speaking of off. <laughs> yeah, the fourth tower is our favorite crazy little girl, Reen. And she says, Tita, did you come all this way to play too? I'm sorry I don't have any ice cream, but we'll have lots of fun. I promise. And then she also says, if you won't be my ally, Estelle, I'll gut you like a fish after all. Joshua, too, and everybody else. And then you get a taste of her backstory there that her fake mama and papa gave her away to bad people who made her do unpleasant things. I'm not sure if the game ever elaborates on those unpleasant things or... Not, oh, not I in guess this game. In the third Trails game. Third. Trails third does, and it will give you nightmares once it does. Trust me. Ugh. Okay, I have that look to, to look forward to. Yeah, you, you then, get a full explanation of why Reen is the way she is. <laughs> uh, am I going to be able to sleep? Uh, you definitely won't have any questions of why why she's kind of a little psycho. A- yeah. After 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 that scene, I was like, okay, yeah, I can buy, kind of buy her as a psycho now. I understand. Yeah. And more pres- more pristine Reen dialogue. Uh, why now? Just a few more minutes, and I could have burned you and made you cry and scream as I ripped out your guts with my bare hands. This is after you fight her. Uh, no, you after fight against... Aura. After yeah. The, yeah, you fight her and kind of fight her to a draw and the aura disappears and she takes off. <clears throat> and then we learned that the towers were sealing the aerial in another dimension and now we get our first big reveal. Our first big reveal. <laughs> There's several. It's, about, it's, it's the Trails game. Gotta I know. Gotta have the twists. But the Ariel is a giant floating island slash city, and it appears sucking all the power of the orbments on this chunk of the continent. Yeah, not just liberal, but like even uh, the, you know, all the the surrounding countries as well. (laughs) So that starts us into chapter eight, the land of chaos. So Professor Russell has uh, come up with a device that kind of negates this effect where it, uh, where the areola is kind of like sucking all the energy out of all the the orbments in this game, which is kind of their 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 version of electricity. So once again, you know, hey, there's no power. Now we have to travel around the continent by foot again to get essential services back. So we're like connecting the communications right, all over the continent. I, I think this was kind of the point in the game where I was just kind of like, really, we we got to do this all the way around again. A third time. But there are no <laughs> smartphones. you got to be able to contact each other somehow. Yeah. And we took the airship away, so hope you didn't get used to it. Yep. No ki- well, no power. Airship can't fly with no power. Yep. Well, uh, t- time, to, time to go through it again. 
Yep. So we go around to all the different provinces and basically you're going to the uh, the bracer branch in every single province and hooking up their uh, uh, their phone so everyone can have communications again. We, we run into Gilbert once again, favorite human garbage can. He uh, He's taken the uh, Janus Academy hostage and giving Estelle a chance to kick his butt again. Um, then the... At, at the end of all this, once you've gone to all the different provinces and hooked up everyone's phones, basically, the enforcers attack the capital. And we get scenes of, like, the one, the single enforcer just taking out dozens of enemies all at once. So they're pushing toward the, uh, the, the <clears throat> castle, apparently trying to kidnap the queen. But you get up to the top, and things are kind of looking bleak. And, but just as things look worse, Cassius shows up to save the day. Cassius Ex Machina. Totally. The writer in this game has said multiple times that they just kind of have to come up with ways to keep Cassius out of out of the story, because if he were actually in the story, everything would just be solved like that. Right. He would beat up every member of Ouroboros without much of a problem, and the game would have been over in 10 minutes. Pretty much. He's, ba- he's basically, this game's Chuck Norris. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Chuck Norris. So... Now, now that even after they've uh, managed to drive off the uh, enforcers, there are bigger problems. The an, a giant Erebonian army is massing on the border. Seems like that the uh, Erebonians have been tipped off by someone to know what was going to happen, and they've taken advantage because they actually have steam-powered tanks instead of having uh, orbit-powered tanks. So now we shift to the uh, to the border, and Chloe has shown up to try and defuse tensions. We, the who's also the crown princess of LeBrault. And we get our next giant jaw-dropping Falcom reveal that Oliver, the wandering bard and minstrel who's been wandering around with us and flirting with pretty much anything that has a pull for the entire game, is actually Oliver. He's a prince of Erebonia. Now, I have to admit, that twist did catch me off guard. Most of the other ones I kind of saw coming, but that one really threw me for a loop. I had absolutely no clue that was coming. It totally yeah. happened. Well, there, there had been like little hints earlier on. Like, I, I think in the first game, you see him talking from like that game's version of a cell phone. One of those, mm. uh, one of those things. And I just kind of figured he was like, oh, he must be like a secret agent for the, uh, for Erebonia. But yeah, yeah that's, never, that's what I thought too. It, it never dawned on me that he was actually a, uh, was actually the crown prince. So basically, Oliver is shows up, and he's kind of like amenable to giving LeBrawl time to fix things. And at least the way I always interpreted it was that he's kind of like th- that it was either Chancellor Osborne or someone in Erebonia's plan to invade LeBrawl in the chaos, and he's kind of just showed up and pull- showed up out here and pulled rank to kind of uh, save LeBrawl from <laughs> invasion. Oh, but you get. Yeah, like, it's also kind of, like, after playing Cold Steel, like, I, I'm noticing so much more, like, going back to this game now and seeing all these references to uh, Chancellor Osborne. So you catch on to a lot more of this after playing Cold Steel, kind of seeing this all again from her angle. Anyway, it turns out, like, this whole plan was uh, of, like, the, this whole show of force and Oliver showing up as the uh, crown prince to, or not crown prince, but prince to, uh, to diffuse things was just a plot that had been cooked up between Oliver and Cassie the whole time. So now the party sets out on the RCL to and a huge you get this fantastic uh fantastic 2005 ish 
uh, CG scene with ships, you know, with the air, with the uh, Arcel fighting all kinds of uh, flying ships, and then low kind of like and attacks. Don't go into the light again. No. Skype is taking you away again. Ah, Skype. Luckily, he's almost done. Am I back? You're yeah. back. Yes. You sound fine. <laughs> It's weird. You sound totally fine. I have no clue what the problem is. Skype being off. Anyway, am I back? I'm good, right? Yeah. You basically so, it just said that a huge ship battle occurs. So a huge ship battle occurs, and lots of ships from Ouroboros fighting the Arcel, and then Lowe kind of comes out of nowhere on a giant mecha and attacks the Arcel and sends it crashing down, thankfully onto the uh, the the flying city that they were trying to reach in the ice. They kind of looked out there. Yeah, lucky fall. So now we're into the final chapter that name drops Trails in the Sky. And now we have another massive dungeon with lots of computers stuffed with lore about the civilization that lived on the Zimmerian continent thousands of years ago that was advanced enough to build this thing. And I remember this dungeon being huge. It's, it's Which like it is. It's like several dungeons tied together. You like yeah. you go into one huge multi-floor dungeon, and then you come out, and then there's like city areas that you can kind of explore and find some uh, find some computer terminals where you can read ridiculous amounts of lore. It's almost like a like a Deus Ex game where you can read some email and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it behooves you to explore every square inch of it because pretty much the best equipment in the game is in this dungeon, is it ha- as it should be. And the Sky Pirates help you out, too. Yeah. Kind of. After oh, they oh. crash. <laughs> well, one thing we haven't gotten around to mentioning that's back from FC, the uh, the treasure chests are back with their snarky remarks if, they're, uh, if they've already been opened. <laughs> oh, I love those. I totally love those. I cracked that up. I mean, I, I cracked up at some of those comments that it would make. So you spend a bunch what? of time. Sorry. Why, do you, why are you back? Do you like looking at empty boxes? <laughs> Sorry. Or, oh, well, no, yes, there is still something here. Oh, it's a spider. The spider wants you to go away. And, of course, there's the famous one where it's like the cries of help from the localization team claiming that this localization will never end. Help us, help us. Yeah, I didn't get that one. Most it of the time, somewhere. Yeah, most of the time when I got a extra treasure chest dialogue, it was because I had hit the button again by accident. I remember that there's a there's definitely an achievement in first chapter for getting all of the messages, and I didn't know about it until I completed the game and wondered what the hell was that. <laughs> and I think there's one in here too, but you've got to be on your game if you're going to get that achievement. It requires you to not to find everything and remember to check it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you spend a whole lot of time exploring the remains of this old yet very advanced city. And there's also a short diversion to save the Sky Pirates from the Glorious. And then you continue beating up everybody's favorite punching bag, Gilbert. Well, he's my favorite punching bag anyway. No, no he was mine too. I hated the little turd bag. It's fun beating him up every time. You'll, you'll, if you play Trails 3rd, there's lots more beating up Gilbert. Yay! So, after hours in this dungeon, you reach the Axis Pillar, which I imagine is the final, final dungeon. Yeah, the final, final dungeon. And then on our way up, we get everyone's favorite final dungeon trope, the boss rush. 
So first you run into Blue Blanc, a.k.a. Pervert Mask Guy. And of course, after you beat him, he gets away again. And then well, next. Well, he's got to uh, show up in other games to give you really annoying quests where he steals something and leaves little breadcrumb hints that you have to follow. That becomes a reoccurring trope in this series. <laughs> so, so you're saying he shows up in Cold Steel, too? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then next is Walter, and you get lots of backstory between Walter and Zen as to why Walter killed their master and probably gloss over this. And Zen wins and knocks Walter out. Then we get Luciola, and okay, our Harvey closed the circus because he ran out of money as the circus wasn't profitable. Not sure this makes sense to go in without full context. And... Lucio also seems to have committed suicide at the end, but Sherazar doesn't seem sure. I'm sure they answered in Trails Third. They don't, as far as I know, unless I missed uh, it somewhere. Oh, maybe maybe the lamps are in a, in a cold steel. Yeah, she'll just show up somewhere else because she cared so little about living at that point that go, committing suicide would be too conclusive for her. And then the fourth is our favorite little psychopath, Reen, who Estelle tries to rationalize with her, but she won't stand for Estelle not wanting to be her wanting. Sorry. Estelle tries to rationalize with Reen, but won't stand for Estelle not wanting her life to be about slaughter. And you get into another huge fight with Patermater. And after the fight, Estelle seems to go get through to her a little bit, but then Rain flies off, and we are left to chase her for another day, probably in Trails Third. Yes, as well as the Crossbell games, too. <laughs> and the final enforcer is Loe. And yeah, I concur with your notes here. This was the nastiest fight. I remember having such a hard time with this fight. I, 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 I it remember shouldn't this. be a surprise if you remember the fact that you were allowed to lose to him near the end of first chapter because he, once he goes at you for real, he's no joke. Yeah, that, that fight in first chapter is you have to be totally prepared to be able to win that thing. You almost have to cheat to know what's going to happen to win it in first chapter. And it's it's no joke here in second chapter. I, I think I had to like look it up on Game Facts just to even stand a fighting chance. And even then, I think I barely beat him. Well, the the one good thing about trail, this Trails game is that every single time you lose a battle, the difficulty automatically lowers. So oh, I if did. you do, oh, you didn't know that? No, I I think I might have reloaded save. Oh no, no! If you just you know refight, you take the option to refight. It lowers the difficulty each time you do that. I mean, it's been so long ago. I probably don't remember, but still. It's one of the things they built into this game, so it's kind of like adaptive difficulty. And it's just like, oh, you're losing. Let's make this slightly easier. I mean, I, don't I, remember. Even, I even played this game on easy <laughs> from the get-go. I don't remember having to continue on any fight, but I, when we talked about first chapter, Alex did tell me about that neat tweak to the difficulty, which... That was news to me. <laughs> but anyway, once you beat him, Loe isn't dead, and Joshua takes him on one-to-one, -one, and they kind of get into a philosophy fight about putting mankind on trail, and Joshua takes him on, and people are never powerless so long as they're together, and surprise, Joshua wins. And then we also learn about the Axis Pillar, that's sort of an antenna broadcasting its power, and that the Ariel is somewhat sentient, and then Wiseman shows up and kills Louis, so he can't, so he can't help us. And then he manages to take control of Joshua, and Estelle does not take kindly to this. 
giving us the dialogue. You taking control of Joshua? It's all... All of sense has made me even more angry. I'm going to beat you clear to Erebonian back and save Joshua. And then the party starts chasing Wiseman while still cha- controlling Joshua to the core. And then Wiseman explains the Ariel and it has the ability to grant any wish which led the people to follow their basest desires. And then when the civilization collapsed, a handful of people, including the ancestors of the liberal royal family, sealed the aerial in another dimension. And this is where the game gets really philosophical and talks about stuff like how modern convenience leads to moral decline and all of that fun stuff. <clears throat> so with Joshua under his control, Wiseman neutralizes the others and, order- and orders him to kill Estelle. But... I imagine with the power of love, Joshua breaks control, the control that Wiseman has over him. Well, actually, no, it was Cassius's plan. Okay. So it's always Cassius that always saves the day. <laughs> oh, more, more Cassius ex machina. <laughs> he saves you at the end of the first chapter. Why not again? <laughs> he doesn't even have to be there to save you. He's that awesome. It's true. <laughs> He's planned ahead. <laughs> and you also get some help from Father Graham, too. Yeah. So then you beat him, but then Wiseman fuses with the Arioli, so it's final boss fight time. Yeah, and... he's he's a villain who doesn't accept defeat and decides to do whatever it takes to win. We've never seen that before. Plus, you know, it's final boss time when the boss takes up the whole screen and it's all psychedelic-y. Yeah, yep, yep, that, that definitely happened. So you end up beating him at the end, but... No, wait, sorry. I got I got stepped sorry. back a little bit, my bad. So, no Loey, who we've given up for dead, shows up and manages to turn the tide. And with Wiseman is finally defeated, but that was the power source, and so now the place starts to collapse. It kind of becomes and, Indiana Jones. You're kind of running away as the, the places are falling apart. <laughs> and incidentally, Wiseman somehow manages to survive that. What is he, the freaking Terminator? Jeez. <laughs> But then Kevin cuts him off and shoots him with a weapon that turns him into a pillar of salt. Which, wow. Which becomes, which becomes kind of a big deal. Well, you get backstory on that in Trails 3rd. Okay. And Joshua and Estelle are cut off from the rest of the party, and it looks like they're about to perish when... Guess who shows up to save them? <laughs> Does his name start with a C and end with Ashes? Cassius and a dragon. <laughs> oh, that's right. The dragon you helped earlier. It was very grateful for you removing its brainwashing. Yeah, I want a fourth game in the series that's just Cassius showing up to save all these people. <laughs> but I don't fun- know. How can we possibly come up with anything Cassius could be involved in that wouldn't be a complete cakewalk? <laughs> that That's true. That's true. It could be like a what? Telltale game. But then you see, get a huge... See if you can in- pry it out of, Fal- out of Falcom. Falcom's yeah. pretty, pretty tight tight-fisted here yeah but then you get a huge ending and the final scene is joshua and estelle placing flowers on the marker and hamel and we close with contrails going across the sky hence trails in the sky (laughs) no we've been going we've been going for what an hour and a half maybe two hour and a half pretty close scott's died twice one hour and 19 minutes before editing Uh, and compression okay (laughs) Well, I, we probably could have shaved 10 minutes off of that without me not being slightly tipsy. But bear, bear in mind, this is the Cliff Notes version 
of a Cliff Notes version of the story. Yes, it is. We're not going into all the the bracer quests that you take on to make time pass before major plot things happen. That would easily add another hour at least. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now we got to talk about the, what, two or three characters that are in the game. Ooh, haven't we already mentioned? Jeez. Yeah, I mean, we kind of went through all of them by talking about their backstories and stuff. Then They really don't introduce a whole lot new. I mean, aside from the villains in Ouroboros. Who, who we never get a total, you know, we, we never get them totally explained anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, is there any, any characters that we didn't mention that was important? <laughs> There's tons uh, of characters we didn't mention. Well, we didn't really go into the Septian Church. Not sure how important that is. Yeah, that that becomes bigger in the uh, the uh, Trails Third since it's all since about that it. since that's Kevin's story, right? Yeah, since that's Kevin's story, so it goes a lot into the Church in that game. And I I'm not sure if the Queen ever showed up in this game or not. I know I think she's in the beginning. She she shows up a couple times in the game. Okay. We 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 touched on Dorothy, but I don't think we talked about Nal, the uh, other her her uh, reporter partner, the guy who always has a cigarette in his mouth, as I recall. Yeah, kind of the hard boiled reporter. You know, they you know in in true JRPG fashion, you know, he's like this supposed to be this really grizzled hard boiled reporter, but I think he's like twenty six or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, as you it- do. And I can tell you that in my office, the 29-year-old is obviously the most skilled and better than anything else that ever, anybody else can do in the office. Well, weren't you the best at when you were 29 at everything and could do no wrong? Mm, no, but no, I wasn't. <laughs> no, nah, neither was I. Uh, when I was 26 and working for a retailer, <laughs> I was okay, but... I really don't want to remember it because for some reason working at a retailer is something I never want to do again. I don't care how much experience you've got. I'm sorry, that's got got personal. And then I don't think that the Colonel or the Fox Faceman shows up as much as they were in the first game. No, the Colonel Richard, I think he pretty much only, he shows up as part of Cassis's party to, you know, when the, uh, the enforcers are attacking the castle to try and capture the queen. The, mm-hmm. the colonel is a part of Cassis's group that kind of like thwarts that. He, they they let him out of prison to do that. <laughs> but otherwise, he doesn't really show up much in this game. Colonel Richard. Yeah. Which I don't know if they ever totally made explicit if he was brainwashed by Ouroboros or if he was just kind of like deluded by Ouroboros. No, they, I don't think they ever really made that clear. It's entirely possible I just missed that, though. This game is just so... <laughs> there's so much depth to the story. <laughs> and Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot to take in just from getting it, the, the summary, but the characters in this game are so well-written that you d- don't even really notice how long the story is, aside from you know some of the backtracking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same reason that you can get engrossed in a novel, something like that, be- because the writing is good. If the writing was bad, then you would be constantly hammering the button like a certain forumer we might recognize seems to do with every game he ever plays and just trying to get advanced and probably being kicked off that you can't press start and skip all of it. But really, 
you would just be doing yourself a disservice if you tried to skip all of this because it is not fluff or worthless or filler, at least most of it. And it is very much worth experiencing. It, yeah, it gives it, the it gives this land quite a bit of life and fills it out to a very impressive degree, considering that it's something that the, the writers of Falcom created. And I don't think anybody 30 years ago would have ever guessed that a video game would have such a well-fleshed out fantasy realm. And it, it's part of what I really love about this series is just kind of like the the absolutely crazy ambition to make a series that has god what is it up to now three five eight eight games currently that all tie together and you know like actually expecting the fans to play all these different games and to pay attention to all the different characters because there are characters who will a there are characters who will just kind of like be introduced way back here in trails in the sky and will come up and play a more prominent role in games down the road there's even like like they even go back and um mine some of the npcs like there's this one npc in this game where um you you get a a small quest to uh where a girl is like set up for an arranged marriage and she runs away from college because she doesn't want to get get into an arranged marriage and so you have to like go and find her and convince her to come back that gets picked up in trails of cold steel like Three games later, you run into that same girl and kind of eventually fix that arranged marriage for her. So, you know, like they, they've remembered even these small little threads from four and five games ago, 10 years past. And they're they're still kind of like picking at that kind of stuff. So I always love that kind of little all those little things in this. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is a throwback mm. to 16-bit and even some of the 32-bit RPGs where the story mattered and it made it worth your time to seek out NPCs and talk to them and seek out, you know, explore every room in a town to see what kind of little hidden nooks and crannies you can find. And that that art kind of went away a little bit as games got bigger and bigger because you know, they really didn't have the budget to fill a lot of the places of the nooks and crannies. Yeah, and, and I mean, like someone writing for Falcom went to the went above and beyond and wrote entire books for these games. You know, like wrote little novellas for the games. Like this, you know, you had the God, I can't remember the one in FC, but this one had two. You had the uh, oh, geez, it was the Gambler Jack and uh, the other one that. Uh, preface the dolls like and, and part of the cool thing about those books is like they'll they they always kind of foreshadow things that are about to happen like you get the the doll master right before you actually do Ren stuff and so you kind of get like a little bit of backstory on the uh on on the dolls as they call them in this game or the mecha i remember those for a couple of them a couple of the pieces of those stories require you here, you, you've got the last part of the chapter accessed. You need to go back and find somebody way back at the beginning that will require you half an hour of wandering in order to find and get the last piece, or else you miss the whole thing. Oh, yeah. These are probably games that, if you're playing them now, it's worth just, like, pulling out a guide. And it, certainly if you care about finding stuff or trying to uh, trying to max out BP or find all the different editions of gambler jack you're better off with a guide than trying to do it straight up it, it some of that stuff is devious they've gotten a little bit friendlier with that in later games a little bit 
Well, I'm, I can't. I can't speak to that. I can just tell you that I thought I was doing just fine on collecting this uh, each of the stories until I realized, oh crap, the chapter ended. Here I am looking at a fact. Where the hell is it? Oh, oh, I needed to take forty five minutes and wander back out of the dungeon and then go back in after finding that one person that I didn't know I was supposed to talk to at this point. Oh well. <laughs> I mean, as much as I tried to kind of see everything and do everything in this game, because I was playing it portably, I knew that I was going to miss stuff anyway, so I tried not to obsess over it too much, which, as somebody who likes to complete games fully, that was really hard for me to do, but, I mean, I'd say that you're not missing that much if you don't take that time to, like, 100% it, but the game makes it worth your while if you do want to go for that, or you can still get a pretty decent story if you just want to critical path the main story. Totally. Yeah, and if you want to try and get everything in this game, uh, uh, A, you'll need a fact, and B, you'll still need to set aside a good 50 or so extra hours to, on top of the normal completion time. But it's worth the money, that's for sure. Because it's an amazing pair of games. Do we talk about graphics and sound? Graphics are how's how's best to put this? I mean, it's a it's a 2006 Japanese PC game that was not really pushing the PC platform when it released in 2006. It looks like a a more detailed version of the sprites that you could have seen in the mid 90s which means that it doesn't look dated so much as it looks like it's not really pushing the hardware. In the same way that sprites of the mid-90s have kind of aged better than the polygons of the mid-90s. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Totally. I mean, this does not look like an ugly PS1 game. It it looks, in that sense, yeah, much more like a nice SNES game. (laughs) Yeah, and certain things in here you couldn't have done on the Super Nintendo, but they're not dissimilar to to the sort of things that you would have seen on the Super Nintendo. It really reminds me of kind of late era PS1 sprite-based RPGs, um, maybe crossing over into the PS2 era with stuff like Grandia that was still sprite-based. Let's see, Grandia, I don't know if we can count, just because that was originally made for the Saturn. Right. Uh, Grandia 2, though the sprites have a little bit more polish. True. Uh, how, how about uh, say say one of the Nipponichi strategy games? Yeah, yeah, more on the level of that though. I would imagine it's used the same engine as uh, Yi's Ark of Nepishtim, didn't it? Oh, or man. similar engine? Sprites do similar, look similar. Right? It does. And the look environments similar. do look similar. I mean, you you can tell by looking at it; it's a Falcom game just by looking at the sprites and the font. Mm-hmm. Falcom was never really sucked into the whole 3D graphics fad. How about the music? Oh, oh God. awesome. Well, I do have to have this one caveat, which is that a lot of the tracks you're going to hear, especially in the first five chapters, are ones that you heard in the first chapter. But, yeah, yeah the music is pretty darn good. But even that music was pretty awesome, so. <laughs> See, I, I'm not going to lie. I listened to the music of the first chapter a little bit more than this one because I had the collector's edition, and it was one of my favorite soundtracks to listen to because I ripped it to my PC at work and jammed it all the time. So, unfortunately, I don't really remember a whole lot of the tracks in this one because I didn't have that soundtrack. See, I wish I was better at describing music because I'm just... 
<laughs> I have no musical background, so I'm terrible at describing it, but I just love the music in this game. I love um, the way that, that they constantly, like, even songs that sound totally different, like, will come back around to that same sort of thing, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, so many great songs like that, and then, like, Whereabouts of Hope is probably, like, my favorite bit of video game music of all time. The It's the song that plays right at the very end of the game when Joshua and Estelle are kind of like in the, the crumbling bits of uh, the liber arc as it's all descending and, you know, they get saved by the, uh, by their father on the dragon. And it's just like this fantastic piece of music. Um, I don't know if this track showed up in SC, but my favorite song in the two games was uh, Cat Relaxing in the Sun. Oh, that was in SC a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very slow. I mean, you literally hear the song and you think about a cat relaxing in the sun because it's very slow, but very relaxing, very upbeat. And then the other song that I had marked that I was listening to before the stream that I was really digging was Fateful Confrontation. Meanwhile, I remember the the up-tempo version of Silver Will that you heard once near the end of first chapter, and then a couple times in this one, it it seems to be kind of Lowe's theme. I'm not, yeah. And whenever it kicks in, you know that you're about to have a really nasty fight. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, because I had played this portably, I didn't get to listen to as much of the music as I would like because you know I'm playing in the car and. Um, playing while we're watching TV and stuff like that. That's one sucky thing about portable gaming, unfortunately, is that I don't really get to partake in a lot of music in portable games. I've learned that having headphones is very handy when it comes to experiencing the sound of portable games. I know. <laughs> what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about combat? We talked is, so much very about similar this story, to... <laughs> and we talked about, you told me about all these dungeons and everything like that, but but what are the hours and hours of gameplay if the combat is just attack, attack, heal? It is not attack, attack, heal. All right, here. Combat is your up to four characters are on a grid. The enemies are generally on the other side unless they've taken you by surprise. You can see everybody's turn order. It depends upon what you do. If you just move, you will have a quick turn. If you move and attempt a heavy level spell, then you'll be taking a little while to cast it, and the enemies can interrupt you in the middle of that. Positioning matters. Since you're on a grid, you have spells with different ranges. Some of them go in a straight line. Some of them hit a circle. Some of them hit a larger circle. Some of them hit kind of a triangle. Uh, your healing spells also kind of work like that. You you have to group everybody together in order to get the right healing done, except then you're vulnerable to certain enemy attacks. And certain bosses, of course, take nasty advantage of that so yeah it's it's pseudo tactical in certain ways yeah you're not just mashing the a button to get through fights you've really i'm sorry the x button to get through (laughs) fights you've really got to think about what you're doing and where you're placing your people and whether or not you're gonna cast a spell or if you're gonna kind of move your dudes back to get a heal in. And, and the party composition can kind of determine your strategy like if you build your party and have someone who's got really good defensive magic like against a boss you may kind of bunch your party together so you can kind of hit everyone with that defensive magic whereas if you've got you know like if you don't have that you may want to be spacing your party out 
so that, you know, the boss doesn't just whack all four of your characters with one hit. So, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of strategy to it. Pseudo strategy RPG. <laughs> and and if you hit the bosses or any enemy with the right kind of attack, you can delay them, too. You can't do it indefinitely unless you're really, really good. But that is possible, just like they can do it to you. Like Grandia style? A little bit, yeah. Though there are no aerial combos, I'm sorry, Phil. Yeah, it's really only fun if you could knock him up to Stratosphere. And you've also got to think about what ornaments you're putting in people's setup, too. Yeah, because everybody is strong with stronger with certain elements, and as you get your bracer rank up, the ornaments that you can equip are increased. I, and I need to look at the things to make sure that I'm right on this, but I know... Getting your bracer rank up definitely affects what you know, what orbits are available to you. I'm trying to look at that right now. It's it's been a while. The only thing, only differences I remember from FC was that they had like new turn bonuses and penalties, which is like part of what you're doing in the combat. Like you have to keep an eye on. There will be like attack bonuses and sometimes like a little bit of healing and like a magic attack bonus and. Honestly, what I remember more than anything is like on boss battles, you wanted to try and make sure it was almost more about making sure the boss didn't get those bonuses than really caring about whether you got them or not. Because if the boss got like some huge attack bonus, they would totally wreck you. Yes. And if you oh, yeah, if you load up on certain types of orbments, um, especially the higher level ones, they do tend to come with a penalty here. You're you're using the red ones. They up your offense, but they lower your defense. Or let's see, the green ones, up defense, lower offense, which you'd think would cancel each other out if you put exactly the right amount of red and green, but you're rarely going to be able to do that. Uh, and then there's the black and white, and I don't even remember what the bonuses are for those two. And then you've also got the S-Craft system too, which is the super move when your CP gets to 100 or above. I don't know if you guys remember that system or not. Yeah, oh, yeah. yes, I do. And if somebody gets knocked out, then that meter goes way back down to zero once revived, which can really wreck you. Yeah. If you were counting on, say, having Joshua come along and rip everything to shreds with his S move, the, I think I think he just slices things to pieces in a line. But, boy, is that handy sometimes. Yeah, because a lot of the S-crafts um, – have a or attack everybody at once and for some fights like that one low a fight at the end being able to do damage to everyone without them having to be in an area can be just can turn the tide of battle quickly hmm okay so it kind of sounds like y'all like this game just a bit i don't know where you're getting that from we're, we were, well, pretty, we're pretty lukewarm that's right, Josh. That's why Joshua could barely remember anything, right? <laughs> I, I noticed there was some hesitation there for Mr. Meeky, because in reading his review, he only gave it a 4 out of 5, which is only 80%, and we all know in Metacritic scoreland, that means mediocre. Yes, I'm sorry that Metacritic has not adjusted to the fact that RP Gamer's scoring system is not well-tuned to its rubric. And yeah, I, I have hinted at this a couple of times, but... The extensive amount of backtracking that you do through the game could have been trimmed significantly, and I don't think anything major would have been lost. And especially when you're going through the same dungeons multiple times, that 
gets a little old. But that is the that is really the only negative I can come up with, and it's not even a huge negative. I I didn't hate it. I just think it could have been edited a bit. So is there you, is there is there some way where you got because you got this you got the first game or in this mini part of the series whatever you know Trails in the <laughs> Sky and then you got SC and then you got third chapter whatever is there a way to carry over your saves or progress or anything? Yes. Or, or is it three separate games? Um, I well, know. Especially the- since third one is only on Steam, at least in English, then. I hope you aren't planning to carry over your data from the PSP. Wait, what? You mean I can't just plug my Vita into my system and... Damn it! Not unless you can make Sony and PC manufacturers suddenly love each other to the point where they will agree to cross-compatibility. I don't know if you're going to succeed, but let me know how you do. Uh, Time to get hacking. Yeah, it's all about hacking. But that that's the question like but you know, is that something I should be worried about? Let's say I had one the first game or the first couple of games on the Vita or PSP or whatever it's on and but I had the third one I'm going to have to play on the PC. Am I missing out a lot by not doing the carryover? How, what what am I, what's going on here? I don't even remember if there was carryover to third originally because it is like a different cast. And yeah. even between even between first and second chapter, you don't get to carry over your exact stats. You only cl- it's like, oh, if you are above level forty-five, you come into second chapter as level forty, and they give you this some extra items. But it's not a, it, 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 yeah, it's not one where you carry over your exact stats, your exact items, your exact money, anyway. To which I remember being mildly irritated by that, but I got over it quickly. Okay, all right. So not a lot to worry about there. Doesn't sound like it's not like 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 the gold box D and D games where my levels and my gear and everything is carrying over exactly. And so I feel like I'm starting see, all over again feel, if I don't do that. See, the only reason I got mildly irritated and not everything carrying over is because I the last game I played like that was Dot Hack. Mm-hmm. But i mean that dot hack was essentially one huge game split up in four four parts and with the guise of it being an mmo so you kind of really needed to carry over your stuff and you know in a way it sort of makes sense that you know estelle might be changed anyway because she goes through that training at the beginning of the game so i guess you could say that she kind of forgot everything so that she could learn to be a better fighter in the end okay well, so you can you can grab this for twenty to thirty dollars, just depending on exactly you know what platform you want to get it on. Uh, I you know I like the GOG version; that's one of the cheaper ones, and you can even find it on sale for even cheaper than that. So, oh, yeah, it, sounds... it goes on the on sale all the time on Steam, usually for half off. Yeah, and so uh, and it sounds like you're really getting your. Actually, no. GOG is twenty nine bucks. I think it was on Steam myself for twenty. But regardless, you're getting uh, really good value for the money that you're putting in. Yeah, just think of how long it took the not particularly large localization team of XSeed to get this thing going. I will say, I will say, my personal vote is would be you know if I was advising a friend who had both, let's say, is it is it Vita or PSP? But well, Vita could play PSP through the store, uh, the handheld version or the computer version. Normally, I default to the handheld version on these things because I can get more gaming done on a portable. 
but but I'll ask you, you know, really, I, you, I think you mentioned you played on portable. When I played the first one on portable, I had a little bit of a hard time seeing the text because it wasn't really scaled very well for my eyes on a small screen. And but maybe that's because I'm an old fogey and need to switch to bifocals. Did, well, uh, did you have an issue with that? Um, I started out playing on the PSP because I was um, I'd bought the UMDs and I you know, wanted to get the most out of my money playing the UMDs. And then I realized that, you know, it it feels like the PSP is kind of a clunky system now. And the game happened to go, or FC happened to go on sale uh, at around the time that uh, the second game got. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to buy the second game digitally only anyway. I might as well just buy a digital version of the first game and play it through on the Vita. So... Short answer to a a long-winded question is when I played it on the Vita, the increased resolution and better screen kind of helped me with that. But I don't know how bad your eyesight is either. My eyesight is terrible, and I played through the version on the Vita just fine. Yeah, like, just looking at this one screenshot here, I shared it in Skype, and I mean, you can just Google this up. That's 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 a PC shot, and that's kind of already a bit on the small side. And then if I shrink that down, it, it just feel you know to like a three inch Vita screen or whatever. It just looks. I, I didn't feel like they did a great job of like if they did any job of like oh it's a Vita screen or a PSP screen, so maybe we should make the text a little bit larger. Which means of course you have to rearrange things because now you know it won't fit in the tech. I, I don't know if they did any of that at all. It, it did start life as a PC game originally and then got ported to PSP, so that may be part of it. But if you do pick up the PC version, I mean, it, it they redid a lot of the art assets for HD, so it they inc- and Exceed incorporated all that stuff into the PC version, so it's kind of the the best version if, the, you know, if portability is important, isn't important. Is it important, yeah. But at least you have options. You have different ways to look at that. So you could be a farm consumer. You can go online. You can take a look at screenshots. Uh, you can ask yourself if you have 2020 vision, and then <laughs> or if you're on buy. I I might get into the. That's what the mic was. So maybe you should get some bifocals. So and, and and bear in mind that I have the new model PSP and not the one with the OLED screen too. So I, that's how I was playing mine. So and I saw it just fine. And yeah. my my eyesight's terrible. Uh, but yeah, I think that was, I, I didn't even know that when I originally got it and someone told me later on what you just, uh, uh, what Mr. Um, uh, Kashua just said, which <laughs> was that it was, ori- I didn't know that it was originally a PC game brought over, but I immediately got the impression when I started to try to read the text, like, oh, this must've been a PC game because of the way, you know, they, whereas if you, you know, you're playing a, an RPG made specifically for the Vita, which is the vast majority of what I play, trust me, they don't start off with a font size that small. They they just, they're not that silly, so. But, yeah, I, I, it wasn't a problem for a lot of people, I can tell you. I was probably the only person out of the three people who had it at the time that were playing it that was griping about it. So, that's just, maybe it was because I got through playing other certain games me off. Anyways... All right, cool. So go out and grab it. You can find that on Steam. You can find it on GOG. You can find it from the PlayStation Network Store. Um, of course, our fans demand the best. So if you want the original Vita cartridge from Japan, I found one copy for $77.77. Uh, I felt that was a round figure. You'll be happy to know that includes free shipping. Uh, so you know, <laughs> to- totally worth it. Just, it, Just as a side note, you know, 
Square made Tokyo RPG Factory, which put out I Am Setsuna, and I think Lostphere, which is trying to recapture that JRPG magic. And I can tell you right now, I Am Setsuna is a mediocre game, and I'm hearing the same things about Lostphere. If you're looking for that classic JRPG feeling, like what you felt with the 16-bit, then forget those two Tokyo RPG Factory games. I think that your best bet is Trails in the Sky. Because... They scratched that itch with that, any of the BS that those other two games have. Oh, granted, I haven't played Lost Sphere yet. So I played the demo, wasn't that impressed. So I could be completely off base with Lost Sphere, but I, I can tell you, I was not impressed with I Am. You know, I, I, I can tell you, when it comes to Trails in the Sky, though, that is exactly what I've heard from numerous uh, RP. G gaming buds, and 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 if anything you're talking about, they're like, Phil, you haven't played this yet, and they're like, no, because you guys are hyping this so up so much, it's going further and further down on my black backlog, and they're like, what? what, why, why that that's insane, and I said, I'll, I'll tell you why, because okay? Phil wants to play Dragon Quest to its entirety first, <laughs> that's right, and I don't want to go back and play Dragon Quest when I played something with a much better story first. It's like, no, no, I can't do no, so we have to get through with Dragon Quest first and and stuff and, you, and and i don't want to i don't want to take a step way back play something really better and then go back to dragon quest 7 so why do you punish yourself no no it's because got good... he likes to finish what he starts yeah it's got some good it's got we'll talk about it we'll talk about it. my my point here for trails in the sky though is it's just it's the story especially i just got friends that absolutely love it, and and they're and I I, th- I think I recall one of y'all mentioned earlier. You don't want to skip over this text. I've I've got a couple of friends out there. Some of you guys out there listening, you know who you are. You're the kind of person that when you play your RPGs, you don't read the text, or you just kind of skip it. You just wait till the. You, this is a game you actually need to stop and read. What's going on, boys and girls? That's why we talked about the story for like an hour and a half because it's that deep, and, and there's a lot of moving pieces to it. But but the payoff is there if you stick with it and you pay attention. If you skim, you don't get it, and then you're like, "Wow, Phil, that the game wasn't nothing big." It's like, yeah, you're one of those skimmers, aren't you? You skimmed. You didn't read. You skimmed. So. And, and, you know, people, so my friend who's listening to this, he knows I'm talking about him. Oh, yeah, totally. So go out there, get Trails in the Sky, one, second, whatever, the first one, the second one. And I'm sure we'll do a third one and we'll tell you to get that one, too. So, uh, yay. And we'll talk about that on another show. All right. Well, we're going to take a break and we'll come back with the final lap.
welcome back. This is the final lap where we read uh, your comments and talk about the side and what we're playing and maybe just maybe get some negativity out on the table. Uh, you know, we are we are super excited that this the the the, the thread and the comments on our last episode of RPG Backtrack, episode 182, Hearts of Graces, was not hijacked this time by Michael Apps. It didn't go down some rabbit hole that had absolutely nothing to do with the game, which may or may not have happened in the previous podcast. So we have a couple of comments. The first one by Shameen. My most striking memory of Hearts R was that I played it after two Dangarampa games came out on Vita, and wondering why they kept the Despair typo in. Both titles reside in the Tales backlog that I'm apparently going to take to my grave. It'd be even longer if they actually put Tales of Abyss 3DS out on the eShop, even if early game Luke is an insufferable dolt. Does that count? It, since he knows early game Luke is an insufferable dolt, hasn't he played Tales of the Abyss? Uh, does, does it count if it's just a port of a game you've already played? Hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't think it would. I, I, I don't know. I guess it's a little open to interpretation. There, there's a comment from, there's, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say this next commenter seems familiar somehow. <laughs> Could not be though? I think it's, uh, uh, I think it stands for jacked up carpenter. There's a J in front. So <laughs> I'm not really sure. I'm just kind of guessing there. Jack, jacked up slacking carpenter. J.S. Car- Anyways. Uh, you know, let's have, let's, we don't, I, I don't, I, you know, we could have Mr. Uh, Jarpenter, who's on our show, read that comment, if he'd like. <laughs> oh, man. See, there was a reason I wasn't on the last episode. It's because I didn't remember. I played Tales of Hearts R, but I bailed on it somewhere in the middle of it, and I have no earthly idea where, actually, I quit playing that game. And kind of like one of those, like, the, the combat was fun, but the story was just kind of like, whatever, and don't particularly feel inclined to go back to it and then i gave it the best i possibly could i i think i remembered more than most people who have played that game do of the story (laughs) (laughs) you did you did great like i i like i was listening to that episode and i'm like i don't remember any of this stuff i played (laughs) i played it for like 30 hours and i don't remember anything it makes you feel any better i felt the same way when i was playing when i was trying to refresh my memory of that story because while i enjoyed the game the story really didn't leave a whole lot of impression on me it it, it was especially bland (laughs) yeah and 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 badly needed editing (laughs) And that could yeah. be the the challenge with with bland games uh, or those games with bland stories is that they're you know if they're super bad I I don't know why but I feel like I have very strong memories of certain games I've been forced to play in my past uh, but and if they're super good I still remember the did, characters did something, and, did something come across you did it have an edge perhaps yeah just uh, just you know if it's really edgy and it crosses your path sometimes you just can't forget it you just you just can't you can't let it go. I, I, beyond that, I've always wanted to get around to Graces, but it's stuck in that PS3 backlog, so who knows whether I'll ever actually get around to playing that or not. <laughs> well, there have been a few of them ported to Steam. We'll we'll see just how much Namco Bandai wants to do with that. Uh, and how much they have to get fixed after they port it. Well, no, everything that's ported always works right the first time, and no one ever has to go back to the assurance, right? Totally. 
<laughs> so, so would you like to read Mr. Smack's comment, Mr. Miki? When Hearts R came out, Wheels... Look, he, he brought up Wheels again! Did a small giveaway on Twitter, where he sent out copies of the original DS import to two people who bought Hearts R. Being one of the two winners, I got the opportunity to play both games side by side. My thoughts are in the 2015 completed games thread, and possibly the what you're playing from that around from around that time. But I'm rather liking both of them for different reasons. Very good game. Well, that's a more positive take than we get from most, because you seem to remember it very fondly. Both versions, which I don't think is what Wheels would agree with. Mm-hmm. Mr. Budai says the character upgrade system in Graces was probably the best I've ever seen in a JRPG. You had all those different titles to choose from, and it really gave you a choice on how you want far or how far you want to take a character at, in any one direction at the expense of other areas. Shame they really took a step backwards on every Tales since, particularly Zestria's convoluted system. How does that strike you, Miss Miss Jellybean? Um, Zestria, I got bored with. It's Zillia that I love. Hmm. All right. Yeah, yeah Zestria was kind of a cease fest. I'll take your word for it. You're the expert on that one. No. And then Wheel says about uh, Shaman saying that Luke is an insufferable adult. He says, I mean, him being an insufferable adult, like it or love it, it's extremely important to the plot. Which I think is correct. I do remember that vaguely, but I cannot remember any specifics. And I played all of Tales Abyss. I don't remember. It's all receded from my memory. <laughs> what happened? I played it in 2012. That's not that long ago. Oh, Am I yeah. getting super early onset Alzheimer's? Oh. oh, yeah, it's happening to us, Mike. We're getting old, uh, like the games we play. <laughs> Uh, so, so, <laughs> uh, so, so the, uh, yeah, in case you didn't catch our jokes earlier or, or whatever about us making fun of, you know, apps, uh, Michael apps, who was on the show in the past, or I called Mr. Application. Uh, he, you know, we, I mentioned last show that he took over our forum thread. So, uh, a little aside here, uh, I, I asked to be on his podcast, the Q and a quest, because he said he's going to talk about Monster Hunter, and I'm super excited about the new Monster Hunter game that's coming out. And so I got on his show, and then he did the introduction roundtables. Um, and when he got to me, I, I just totally took over from there on. So it's the hijacked version. If you want to listen to episode 60 of Q&A Quest, you can find it very easily on their website. You can find it on iTunes. You can listen to Phil totally hijack uh, Q&A Quest. Just for you RPG Backtrack fans, there's totally... You've been a host too long, Phil. You don't know how to do anything else on a podcast. <laughs> you don't know how to do... I don't know how to play Backseat. And I totally took over to get retribution for how he, you know, hijacked our thread. And and, and if you're like, well, Phil, what, you know, I'm, I, I listen to RPG Backtrack because I like to talk about old games. I don't want to go listen to a Q&A quest about the new Monster Hunter game. Well, that's fair. That's fair. But you'll also be happy to know that we actually did spend a fair amount of time talking about Romanza Saga 2. So... Uh, yeah, and some other Saga games. So it is a good listen, even for retro gamers. So check Wait, it didn't out. He, didn't he mention that you specifically talked about Unlimited Saga? We, we That did actually get in there. Somehow we went from Romancing Saga 2 to the abomination known as Unlimited Saga. I just... I, I remember he spent a good 45 minutes to an hour attempting to explain it on our Backtrack episode that dealt with the Unlimited Saga. Uh, and he didn't really... Succeed. 
because Unlimited Saga is an impenetrable mess. Right. Exactly. I just... The, I wanted to like... In fact, it's almost my impression with most uh, Saga games, but especially with Unlimited Saga. I wanted to like it. And I was totally okay with the fact that there's there's not like this open world thing. It's more of a board game. Uh, so there's not a lot of, you know, fancy graphics going on. You're moving from place to place and, and there's some skill checks. Uh, you know, that kind of makes it feel like pen and paper to me. I mean, I play pen and paper RPGs all the time. I don't even use the combat uh, mat uh, very often. So I like the theater of the mind. I'm totally okay with that. I liked, uh, what was it, Crimson Saga or whatever on the 3DS where it had that very pen and paper feel to it. But the systems in that game, yes, you're exactly right, Mr. Mickey. It's a hot, steaming pile of mess. And and even reading an FAQ to try to help me through it, it was just no. A game, it, you, sorry. You, you have a certain number of moves inside each dungeon, and fighting takes away your moves too. And once they're all gone, you get kicked out of the dungeon no matter how much how far you got. And then it all resets when you try to go back in. I think that's part of it. Yeah, a, a game that complicated with that complicated of a system needed a tutorial, and I don't think Unlimited Saga had a tutorial, because I, I remember renting it one weekend thinking, okay, well, I like RPGs, surely this will be an excellent game, and thinking, wow, I wasted my whole weekend on a rental. You know, I'm okay with games that, I mean, is you know, I'm, I can go and look up the rules on an FAQ if I really have to. Like, I won't like you for it. I'll criticize you for it. But if you've got, hell, I mean, if you've got a, let's say, a, a system that's as deep as Dungeons & Dragons, which can be bloody deep, um, the combat, you know, in that book is 16 pages alone, but... But 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 if you can just explain to me the rules and they kind of make sense and the systems work well together, it starts clicking. I like deep RPGs, but here the systems they just kind of they they just kind of threw a bunch of things at the wall to see what would stick. It, it just felt like something that really wasn't given a lot of play testing to see if those pieces actually worked well together or if they even could make sense in some of those uh, some of those things. It just it didn't click. Ugh. Anyways, no. you you and your fussy standards, you <laughs> want the game to make sense. I know. Where, where does this come from? Obviously, what you need to do is just toke up on LSD and start playing it, and you'll have a mind-bending experience. That's actually probably the best way to experience that game. <laughs> just get some LSD. Um, well, one of these days when I'm in a rest home and have nothing else to play, I might give it another shot I... see, and then probably have a heart attack from its badness but i i still I, have the disc maybe you'll have maybe you'll just have a stroke yeah yeah i still have the disc what do you think i put my beer on sorry and i'll just anyway so <laughs> let's uh let's move uh let's move forward let's let's do some round table action and let's ask uh let's ask mr uh, js uh, joshinter whatever his name is what's this guy on our show this other guy who just kept talking on and on about this story in this other game that i don't and remember Phil has come up with what is this your fifth iteration of his name what no i'm i'm pretty sure i've been using the same name the entire night i think how many drinks have you had tonight phil just a few don't criticize me i've had a hard day okay i need love and understanding right now so love and understanding that you only get from booze yeah yeah especially when you hear the sad tale that's driven me to drink but it's not my turn it's it's 
It's this other guy, the woodcarver's <laughs> turn. So go for it, buddy boy. What you uh, working on for RP Gamer? What you playing? What you doing? Whew. Okay. Let's let's see. Um, last week, well, I don't know exactly when this episode will go up, but lately I put up a review of Mario plus Rabbids uh, Kingdom Battle on the Switch, which was a pretty decent take on a tactical RPG. I, I hear that the systems in that game worked a little bit better than Unlimited Saga. Just saying. Yeah, j- just a touch. <laughs> they're 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 taking from you know they're 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 basically just using the XCOM style combat and kind of putting their own little twist on it. But like yeah, you know that was the game that got announced originally that you know leaked out before god was that even before the switch was out where there was that rumor going around that ubisoft and nintendo were going to make a uh we're going to do a crossover game on the switch yeah and, and everybody thought it was going to be a sucky party game yeah sucky part or, or you know like a, a you know the very obvious like rat or a, a, a crossover between raymond and mario like some sort of platformer and then instead we get this absolutely insane XCOM takeoff with the rabbits and mario and <laughs> yeah, like I, I was like when I first heard about this. That's 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 what what the hell? I don't like rabbits. I mean, shoot, they look like minion knockoffs. I just and I don't even like minions that much. No, it looks stupid. But I was Technically, wrong. The minions ripped off the rabbits. That, that that's pretty much what I thought, Phil. I mean, you know, I remember <laughs> thinking that like that there is no way in heck I'm going to make it through like a thirty or forty hour game with rabbits level humor without pulling what little hair I have on my head left. But like I was totally wrong. That game had fantastic gameplay. The they managed to dial the rabbits back to to not being too awful annoying. And it wasn't perfect. You can tell it's kind of like a launch, well I guess what what do we call it now? Launch window game. So it you know, you're only limited to three character parties. So it's a little bit smaller than something like XCOM where you at least have four. And that kind of got limiting because they force you to use Mario at all times. So you only get to choose two of your party members. But otherwise, I mean, it was a it was a lot of fun, and you can see a lot of um, you you can see a lot of potential if they make a sequel, which it sounds like it's done pretty well. So I imagine. There... And then um, the other thing I kind of wrote up last week for the site, I kind of went ahead and wrote down my 2018 gaming resolution and. Um, well, there were a few other things. I mean, the main part of that is uh, I, I plan on working on my PSP backlog. And I've been kind of like setting aside Thursdays to try and work on that to, to make sure I play the game. So I don't... No, no, your New Year's resolution needs to be don't go into the light. That <laughs> that needs to be your just stay with us. Just stay with us, Woodman. Come back. Don't make me what bring is make... happening? What is happening? Who has cursed Skype? Well, uh, okay. Who who in this company has cursed Skype? Well, I think he's back now. I think he's back. I think he is, but Skype is very sensitive for you. Some of the reason tonight. I what have no you... clue. I don't know why it's so bad tonight. Okay, so PSP backlog. So I'm working on the PSP backlog, and I've kind of set aside Thursdays to work on that to make sure I play it at least once every week, so it doesn't fall to the bottom of the pile and become forgotten. And so the first one I started on was Final Fantasy Tactics, War of the Lions. And because um, it's kind of been sitting, it's been the white whale of my backlog for a long time. It's the game everybody loves. And somehow I just, 
I wasn't really playing a ton of RPGs when it came out on the PS1, and somehow I missed it on the P. No clue how. But I'm playing this, and I'm not liking it very much. And I feel like they're gonna people are gonna take away my RP gamer. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, we're losing we're losing your signal. I I feel like you're being dragged into a black Phil, hole. Phil, Phil, he said Final Fantasy Tactics, not Final Fantasy VI. Oh, okay, all right, all right, yeah. Sorry, sometimes I drink too much and I get titles confused. And he certainly wasn't saying anything like Final Fantasy VII is amazing. Oh my God, there's nothing else that's uh, better. Oh, thank God. Oh, oh God, <laughs> wow, blasphemy. Whew. Am I going to uh, have to rage quit the show? Oh, all right. Uh-oh. Phew. Have uh, I pissed you off, Kelly? No, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, tactics isn't everybody's cup of tea, and it's kind of like a pick-your-poison pick thing with that game because you play the PS1 version with the really sucky translation, or you play the PSP version with the excellent translation but the horrible load time. Yeah, bad load times, and it's just like going back and playing it now. It is really unfriendly to to new players because it just it tells you nothing. Nothing is intuitive. There are tutorials, but it forces you to like you can't just sift through a tutorial. Like if you want to fi- find out one thing, you can't just sift through a tutorial. You have to watch the entire tutorial. You can't you can't even exit out of the tutorial in the middle once you've figured out what you wanted to know. Like no, you have to sit there and click through the entire five minute tutorial. Um and so many things are just like not intuitive. Like I I kept buying Phoenix Downs and I couldn't understand why on earth I couldn't use them. And it didn't occur to me that like you actually have to go in and spend job points on each character you want to be able to use even individual items. items. Yeah. I I was able to deal with that for the most part. It was annoying. What I remember more than anything was that it – it gets nasty in spots pretty well unless you know exactly what's coming and how to prepare for it. Then once those freaking archers with the high ground always start getting in your face, then you're in trouble. And it is not a gentle game for tactical novices. Yeah. Um, pro tip, like anytime you're going to go into a major fight, make a backup save file and <laughs> keep that save file. If, if you're going to continue this game, that is just, just warning you right now because certain fights in the game are brutal and there, there's one in particular that is so nasty that it has stopped many people in this game. Could you be yeah. talking about the three-part one where, let's see, the second part is where Ramza has to fight solo and of course he's not really a great character to fight anyone solo and then once you finally beat that uh you get to fight a a, a horrible soul-sucking demon that has nasty evil powers that are really unfair i could be I tell you what, you're sucking my uh, enthusiasm, what little enthusiasm I have left for playing this game. <laughs> I mean, un- unfortunately, it's a, it's kind of a dated game now, and I yeah. don't so, really blame you for not yeah, wanting I mean, to continue it. I mean, that that's the other thing, like, where I'm playing, like, this story mission, and you only have six characters that you control, and then two of them are AI party members, and they go off and do stupid things. <laughs> you know, like, there's six of them, Two of them decide to concentrate on one archer way off on the side of the field and then leave my main party of four to deal with, like, nine guys coming at them. And you're just like, come on, game. 
<laughs> well, what's even worse is that your character or all the enemies scale to Rosma's level. So if you spend a lot of time building Rosma and not your other characters, then you're going to be in for a beating. Uh, so, so a couple of things. A couple of things. Number one, what what you just described with the AI doing its own thing, kind of screwing you up. Just multiply that by fifteen, and that's my feelings on Xenosaga, which is like everyone's favorite RPG. But the combat system drives me crazy because two of the the three party members are AI controlled, and they do stupid shit all the time. Number two, you mean Xenoblade. Whatever the hell it's called. Number two. <laughs> number I was two. Trying to think. Xenosaga, yes. Saga you have Blade. Over your characters all the time. <laughs> Be nice if they brought that to Xenoblade. Number two, if you want, if you like one version versus the other, you can pretty much buy either one on the PlayStation Store because there's the PS1 classic version and there is War of the Lion. To be fair, I'm just saying you yeah. can buy either one if you feel like there's. I, I don't know. You you guys just put the differences out there, but you do have a choice uh, in a modern age if you're playing on Vita or PSP. Um, now, if you're on PS3, uh, according to this, you can't play War of the Lions on the PS3. You would be stuck with the PS1 Classic version. Um, and then my my only advice for you is, granted, I, I would agree with the sentiment it doesn't super uh, age well. I, I would think just because it felt a little bit slower to me, if anything else, everything was so methodical in that game. Uh, aside from some frustrating, gimmicky, you know, fights, um, which, to be fair, happens in in a lot of JRPGs at some point or another, which always drives me crazy, too, so I totally get it. Um, for me, personally, I fact that thing, because just not to spoil it, not to go and say, okay, what do I need to do in Battle XYZ, just to figure out the game mechanics and the class system. Because it, it wasn't really well explained from what I recall in the manual. It certainly wasn't explained very well in the game. This is back in the days where they didn't do a lot of explaining in the game. Anyways, I was used to looking to the manual. And the manual had some good information in it. But I remember, I, I think what frustrated me about the manual was it didn't explain how to unlock the higher classes exactly. Because I went through the manual pretty carefully. I remember this. I was used to reading instruction manuals. I, I liked the Neverwinter Nights that had a 200-page or an 80-page instruction book. I, I thought that was awesome. That's me. I like the deep, complicated games. But but I don't like it when you hide basic stuff like job classes behind a hidden wall and, and don't explain that shiz. So I downloaded that. That was my first experiences on the internet was finding the class guide, all the prerequisites for the cooler classes, me choosing which cooler classes I wanted and started working towards those. And and for me, that was the satisfaction that took me through the game was once I had my party of five badass, you know, one was a calculator and one was the super kick at and the magic mystical knight, whatever the hell it's called. And I had basically, I didn't even like to use the name PCs, even though they're kind of stronger because it was the, the fact that I chose my classes and I worked my way there and now I was a badass team. And once I hit that point, it, most of those hard fights became pretty easy for me anyways. But that was kind of what carried me through. But would I sit here and say it's the best thing since sliced bread? No, it's it's not Final Fantasy VI. At the, at the time, it felt like it because I was a huge Shining Force fan. And when that came out, I don't think Shining Force 3 was even thought of. <laughs> I think. When it came out, Shining Force 3 Scenario 1 was released in Japan, I believe. Yeah. But it took almost a year for that to come out here. And, of course, we never got Scenarios 2 and 3 because Sega of America decided that 
everyone over here didn't deserve anything during the year-long wait between the end of the Saturn in the United States and the beginning of Dreamcast because Sega of America had decided that even though it was releasing extremely limited print runs of these last four Saturn games, well, that wasn't enough to give any of the diehard Sega fans anything else. So screw you guys. You can wait for $9,999. And if you want anything to pass the time, well... Oh, I'm sorry. You get nothing. <laughs> Sega, why you hurt me? Why you hurt me? <laughs> it's almost like that has continued over the years with Sega making continual stupid decisions, but no, nah, that that couldn't be. <laughs> I'm just glad I have my copy of Shining Force 3. Uh, I'm just as, amazed as, as well you should be. About. I'm just amazed we get to talking about Sega from Final Fantasy Tactics. I know. The trade, the trade's gone off the track. It's Woodman's turn. What else would you want to talk about, Woodman? <laughs> oh, that's that, that's that's pretty much what I've been working on around the site. We'll see how much longer I stick around, stick around with Final Fantasy Tactics. I kind of want to – I'm getting the itch to move on to uh, uh, um, the Sakura Tyson games, which I've had for years on the, the PSP ports of the Saturn, the, the original two Saturn games. So I've been wanting to – Maybe Did they ever get translated? Lord, no. Okay, yeah, I, I just want to make sure. So here's what I I can emphatically say: just have some kind of a fact handy, so mm-hmm. that you so that you don't you aren't just blindly picking your choices with the lip system because that will result that in you. <laughs> that can be bad. It might be mildly amusing if you manage to piss off one of the girls and have no idea why, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> What, I attempted to play Sakura Tyson 1 on the Saturn without using a fact, and I didn't get very far because it made absolutely no sense. With a fact, it became a completely different thing, and I enjoyed it very much. And you just might as well. And Sakura Tyson 2 is even better. Well, did I this even the... have, sorry, did this no, even have fan translations? Fan yeah. translations? I know okay. there's good English walkthroughs. I think there's even fan translations. And I kind of figured PSP would be a pretty good platform for that, since you can pretty easily kind of put it to sleep in case you yeah. need to kind of, like, read and catch up. Yep. So that's been my plan for a long time. I think I may, once I finally give up on Final Fantasy Tactics, which I'm thinking more and more of that may happen. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. It's, I really don't blame you. It is a very dense game that hasn't aged well. I, I'm digging the story. It's just like I would love it if they would actually make a new modern one that wasn't just just sand the edges off. I'm getting a little old to deal with some of the, you know, the more arcane stuff in video games. You know what? I am one of those who actually enjoyed the Tactics Advance games. Oh, they I... were they, they were friendlier to the newbie, and both of them are really addictive. I put around 200 hours into Tactics Advance on the GBA because I was that's when I was going to college, and pretty much every time I had a free moment, I was I had my PSP or my GBA open and was doing a battle or two. And I didn't really like the DS one as much. The story wasn't nearly as good. I don't remember the story a whole lot in the DS one. I remember the one from GBA just because of that stupid moment about uh, what's-her-face, she dyed her hair. <gasps> no! That's the reason she won't join you? She doesn't have to dye her hair in the fantasy realm. Well, I, that's, remem- I remember... That's pretty heinous. I remember everybody calling Marsha jerk. It's like, oh, 
your your life is so good here in this fantasy world, kid. Get back in the real world. I do have to wonder what the hell happened to her. She was twelve and she was already dying her hair. She might have had Vitlio, if you've ever heard of that. Mm, I don't think I have actually. Um, Michael Jackson supposedly had it. It's basically you, where where your pigment just kind of leaves your skin, and it happens to your hair too. Maybe Michael Jackson was dying his hair all those years. Oh, no, I mean, that was one of the reasons why he was um, supposedly bleaching his skin was to uh, kind of make all the white patches even out. I can see that. Of course, Michael Jackson was an odd fellow. So, Miss R- Miss Miss Jellybean, <laughs> what do you have for us? Well, I've been drawing a little bit more, trying to kind of finish up some stuff I started last year before starting up new stuff and I'm I need to really work on some character design sheets cuz like like I've said before I've been writing a book and I have some characters in my head that I kind of need to get on paper so that I can visualize them better and the kind of nice thing about being a writer artist combo is that you can do both things at once even though I also have a day job so I don't have the time to do both things at once but I've been drawing a lot more. I've been playing a lot more Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and still loving that game, still getting completely lost in the world. And I really need to start kind of critical pathing that game because I'm I'm on chapter 5 right now and every time I go to like I'm going to continue the story and I get into this new world and then I'm like, "Oh, look, there's side quests." Oh look, I there I got rare blades. Oh, I need to make these or er, build these rare blades cuz you kind of do side quests with rare blade that you get in the game. And there's certain conditions that you have to do to unlock their abilities like sometimes you need to kill certain monsters or sometimes you need to collect certain items or sometimes you need to send them on a certain mission. And it's kind of getting into what Josh was talking about in his side quest editorial about getting bogged down in the side quest. It's like, you know, ultimately all this stuff really doesn't matter. And I need to just get into the game, you know, start finishing it or start trying to do the critical path. I definitely know that feeling. <laughs> well, especially if you're playing Romance Saga too, and after like I don't know, just for an example, playing for like twelve hours, hitting kind of a brick wall, look up at an FAQ just to find out that basically the monster scale depending on how many battles you've done, like there it's keeping track. So the monsters just automatically scale up. So grinding actually doesn't help you out at all. The side questing doesn't help you out at all. <laughs> Like, yeah, grinding and doing side questing from a pure gameplay standpoint only really helps you if the bosses and stuff are static and those things are kind of giving you a leg up for that final match somehow. So, don't know about the Xenoblade Chronicles 2. No, um, the nice thing about Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is that when you get side quest, or when you finish the side quest, you get bonus EXP, but it doesn't necessarily apply to your character right away. So when you go stay in it in, then you can level up your characters. So what's really nice about that is that if you've done a bunch of side quests and then you hit a really hard side quest or a really hard boss, you can just go to the end and 
dip into your bonus experience and level up a couple of times, and then you should be good to go. So I'm probably way over-leveled right now for where I should be, because all the mobs in the story area are, like, level 32, and I'm hitting close to 50 right now. So it, it's a nice little difficulty slider. Hmm. Top 10 signs you might be over-leveled for the game you're playing. Yeah, just, well, it, it's a nice contrast to the original Xenoblade, where I felt like I was under-leveled throughout the entire game, and then would hit a brick wall with the story, and it's like, okay, are there any side quests I haven't done yet? Okay, there's a couple of them. Okay, now am I leveled? And then hit a brick wall at the end of the game, where I need to go actually go out and grind, so... It's been kind of. Which, it's been a really nice game so far. Which, for for the little side, it's one of the reasons I like Monster Hunter. To plug that real quick, whether it's the old games or the new one, is there are no levels. I feel like levels a lot of time are just an arbitrary, you know, extra speed bump to put in your way of really having fun. And Monster Hunter, if you are hitting a tough and difficult boss, or you want an easier time against the next monster you're fighting, then you do have the option of going and farming some of the lesser bosses to get better gear. You know, that's fine. That option's there because your stats are derived all from your gear. But then you're getting a, stu- you know, you're getting a true statistical upgrade. So I just really hate it when I feel like I've got the best gear available and the boss beats me just because he arbitrarily has three more levels than I do or five more levels. And now I got to go out and grind. Ugh. It doesn't even sound fun. Farming and grinding. They, they, yeah. I don't know. But I think that's where 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 that guy who builds uh, fences and barns and stuff, what he was just saying about how he's getting older and doesn't want to deal with this archaic crap. I feel like for me, my archaic crap moment is when I find out I got to spend five hours grinding up levels just so I can have this magical number in the computer somewhere that puts me on level with the boss. Otherwise, he's going to wipe me out in one hit. That makes no sense to me. Well, I just don't have the time either. Oh, I, th- I think a lot of RPG companies have kind of forgotten what original D&D leveling was like. And that some, some of it has gotten too ridiculous. And as much as I like this series, I really blame Disgaea for this. Darn Disgaea. It really is bad. <laughs> and, um, I've also had a little bit of a run of bad luck with my DS or my 3DS because the other day my cat decided to be a jerk and knock over a cup of water on it. Oh, no. And it, it luckily it didn't short out my DS, but the screen was flickering, so I freaked out. So I ended up buying a new battery for it. And unfortunately, my keyboard did have a casualty, and I had to replace that. And then Monday or last night, yeah, you know, I brought my DS with me so he could go to the grocery store, and we have like a twenty-minute drive through traffic through downtown to get to the grocery store so i always bring my ds with me because my husband drives so that you know i kind of have something to occupy at the time and went to go pull it out before bed to you know get a little bit of pokemon and before bedtime and couldn't find my pokemon cart and i was like oh crap the last place i remember having it was when i stuck it in my pocket at walmart and like okay don't panic check my pockets nothing there Check the kitchen table, nothing there. Check downstairs where I had put it on but the end table. There was my Pokemon cart. If you if you would have heard heard a noise that sounded like an F bomb, that would have been me screaming had I not find found that cart. Because I am at the end of Pokemon Ultra Sun. Very close to the end. 
and losing a game that close to the end of the game just would have like okay that's it i am never playing pokemon ultra sun ever again because i don't want to have to go through all that all over again sounds too much like some of my dragon quest stories yeah i thought there you go with the foreshadowing again phil I mean, you you can go ahead and tell your Dragon Quest story because that's all I've really had going on. I want to finish Pokemon Ultra Sun pretty soon so that I can start something else portably. And like I said, I, I really need a critical path through Xenoblade because it's been taking up a lot of my time. Well, before we do that, how about you, Mr. Miki? Anything new going on with you? Well, when last we spoke, I was playing something called Dragon Ball Z Battle of Z. And I've put that aside for now. Because there's only so many times that I can fail a mission because of the freaking weird and incomprehensible structure. All right. I have to try and explain how this game works so you understand what's going on here. You control one person. Fair enough. Fair enough. You have three AI-controlled people on your team. They run around and are supposed to help you and sometimes do and sometimes don't. It's the typical way of AI. You are fighting against up to four other AI-controlled things, and usually a lot of these battles will just shift as Dragon Ball tends to do with multiple phases and guys will transform and new opponents will show up out of nowhere. And it's sort of structured as a fighting game, except that it really doesn't work when, when you're in close... You do exactly one thing. You start going into a combo, a a combo of six, seven hits that you can't really alter. And if you can get interrupted by somebody else coming along and taking advantage of the fact that you can't see everything on the screen at once, which is really not how fighting game. And then you get knocked down and you're and if you lose all your life, then one of your teammates can come over and revive you rather than costing you a retry. But uh, often they don't. And then you it's. It's a strange, strange mess, and while I put a number of hours into it because I am, I, I was once upon a time and might again soon be addicted to Dragon Ball because that, that sucked out my soul in the late 90s and it never quite fully came back. But this is not a well-designed game. It's just not. <laughs> uh, so then I set that aside and... Plunked around on my Vita. What else have I downloaded? And I decided to try out Noitopia, Noitopia, which, if you look at it, you will immediately go, huh, wow, this sure looks like The Legend of Zelda, which is something everyone says, and that is accurate. It does look like The Legend of Zelda. It even plays pretty much like Zelda, the, the very first one. Seeing how this came out in 89 on the TurboGrafx-16, and it is not aping Zelda to The Adventure of Link. Having said that, it does have some differences. You can find... There are tons and tons of people around the world of Noitopia just hiding in caves or downstairs that you unearth by burning down trees. Yeah, you burn down trees. Or you burn down rocks. Or you burn down marble columns, as is common. And it's actually fairly well localized for something from 1989 on the Turbo Graphics. However, I've gotten it's also a bit more linear than The Legend of Zelda. You have to go through the first two the area with the first two dungeons before you can take on the next two and the next two and the next two. They're each in a separate area. And I'm not sure what happens once you finish the last one because the boss of the seventh dungeon is just a pain in the butt. It 
And that's probably because this is an, a game so old that you can't move diagonally. You are limited to the four cardinal directions. And when the boss can move diagonally and can attack you diagonally, that's just kind of irritating to me. I, maybe it isn't for everyone else. Maybe diagonal movement is something that you can just conveniently forget we've had access to for all these years. Anyway, I assuming I persevere, I will give us a nice little retro review where I, well, hell, it's on our site. We cover it. Nobody's reviewed it before. And it probably deserves one because it is interesting in many spots. And really, that's all I have been playing lately. I'm kind of between major games at the moment. Taking another one for the team. Mm, kind of, sort of, I suppose. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I would think be you know, moving diagonal, that's, that's kind of important. I understand why it is this way. We, we have gone back far enough that diagonal movement was not guaranteed. I, were you able to move diagonally in the original Legend of Zelda or related to the four no. cardinal direction? Okay. There was four cardinal, yeah. I think uh, Link to the Past was the first diagonally moving Zelda game. Yep, and Link to even, the Past is, much, is still even, fun to play. And even with, you could move diagonal, but you just, st- I think you could only shoot in the the forward directions, though. I think, like if you're shooting your sword or a bow, I, I don't think you shoot diagonal. Yeah, I don't you recall. couldn't shoot diagonally, but you could swipe your sword yeah, like yeah and your sword had a nice big arc that would cover things in front of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, as I mentioned before, I got my precious Dragon Quest Seven back. And, oh boy, am I so excited that they brought this back to me. And that means that I can continue and not feel like I have to quit because I had sunk so many hours into it. Uh, well, Phil, you were describing that you have reached a wonderful point of the game where it appe- I think it is the seventh quest of the past where you finally reach the class change system. So you have to imagine, like the class change system. I mean, that's like the highlight of any game that has it in it, whether it's Bravely Default or Final Fantasy V, or I mean, Final Fantasy Tactics. That's what took me through. Was oh yay, I got these different jobs and I can build them up, and and that feels like real progression. Um, I don't feel like for me leveling up in RPGs doesn't really tend to feel like progression because your hit points go up, your attack goes up, so does the enemies. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? But when I can change classes and build on new classes and unlock classes, that feels like real progress. So that gets me all super excited. Apologize for the cat meowing. I don't know what she's meowing about. Anyways, so so and this is one of the, but I've never played a game before that had that as kind of like one of its keystone elements and. Two dozen hours in, or more, you still haven't unlocked it yet. So I finally make it to All Trades Alibi. And I, you know, it, Dragon Quest 2, Dragon, there's a number of Dragon Quest games, Dragon Quest 3, I mean, I think it's 3, where you could change classes and you you, you always do it at All Trades Alibi, right? Mm-hmm. So so when you come out of town, like, oh, you're like, yes, I'm finally here. And you go up and it's kind of like going into it. It always is like, it's almost like a religion to the people in Altra. It's like, hey, come and worship us by changing your class type of thing. I'm like, yes, I'm ready to be saved. Just whatever. I want, I want to start doing these classes because I'm thinking to myself, the, the way that classes unlock in Dragon Quest games is they keep track of how many battles you've done with your class that you're currently in. And after so many battles, you level up in that class and then eventually you max it out and you move on to other ones and you unlock new classes. And I'm thinking to myself, for two dozen hours now, I've played and I've not, and it's not contributed yet because I actually haven't been a class yet. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of like the default character. I'm not the class yet. 
I want to be a fighter, be a wizard. Let's get those basics done with. Let's get this. Let's do this. And he's like, well, just come and dip. You need to baptize in the water. You need to come dip down in the water so we can cleanse you so you can be ready to change clothes. Sure, whatever. Strip it off my clothes. We into the water. <laughs> I, I'm, I just, I'm so ready for this. I'm so chopping at the bit. And then... And then he's like, ha you stupid heroes. I got you to go into my water of powerlessness. And now I'm going to draw what few skills you have from your nameless, you know, beginner class. I'm just going to take what few skills are. I'm going to suck them out of you. And then I'm going to dump you. I'm going to dump you into this crappy ass town. That, with all the other people who have been the victim the, of this. With all the other suckers, so you can feel like and a sucker with them. And then some will come along and beat the crap out of you in an alley. Yeah, yeah. And, and after, like, ta- and of course this town is full of NPCs. You know you need to talk to all of them, because it's a JRPG. And I'm just like, I just want to change class, and this is sucking up so much more time. And then, yes, when you finally talk to these one guys, they're like, hey, we're, we're going to kick your ass now. I'm like, okay, you know what? I got some healing herbs. I can't cast cure spells anymore because he sucked that out of me. But yeah, sure, I can do this. And no, no, he kicks your ass after. And it wasn't like he kicked you all in one hit. Like if it happened all in one hit, you kind of, oh, okay, deus ex machina. They're trying to segue to something, whatever. No, no, no. It was like a long general fight and I still lost. And I'm like, I just can't. I hate this game. It makes me, it makes me, you know, takes away, it takes away everything after teasing me. And then again, me a game oh wait a minute it's not a game over screen it actually was a you were supposed to lose scenario and it continues the story i'm like okay fine be patient a little bit longer and to kind of get to the point it, it did for the next five fucking hours it was dungeon after dungeon after like and it's you know to eventually get back to all trades obby to face the guy you have to go through no less than three dungeons and each one has like four to five very long floors. The, the the game is massive. Everything is massive in this game. Like, I don't know if this would qualify for an open world game, but it really should. Because there's just so much real estate to cover. And the dungeons are just huge. So, yeah. I mean, you can see the enemies. At least you can see the enemies on the screen and try to run around them. But that doesn't help you a whole lot in probably 60 to 70% of the dungeon lands, uh, dungeon areas, because the hallways are constricted and the enemies are kind of big. So it can be kind of tough to run around. There was like one floor here and there I'd be able to get by with just a fire too because it was a little bit more open. I could get around them. But it was just, oh. And of course, my blood pressure is going up the entire time because all I can think about is leveling up doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, at the end of the day, there's 40 levels and I'm probably, you know, 40 to 60, maybe 70 levels. I'm going to get to those levels eventually anyways. I want to do the classes, but I can't because I can't get to Altrid's Albi. And it's just my blood pressure's going up the whole way. Now, to its credit, the story was good. The Altrade's Abbey story and being stripped of the powers and, uh, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, and what the people are doing to try to get out and some of the characters that you meet. And, and, and uh, you know, it's pretty well done, especially for an older uh, JRPG. That's where Dragon Quest has always shined, like Dragon Quest Four and some of my, you know, Dragon Quest Five. Um, to me, those games shine in their side stories as you're going from town to town. I'll say maybe Dragon Quest Five, which had the cool generational thing going on, um, you know, the the you know, getting your kids and stuff and your waifu, uh, that was pretty cool. 
But for the most part, most of them, I don't care about the main plot. It's Save the World. There's a big bad guy. Ooh, that's not original. Hasn't been since Dragon Quest 1. But but it's the going to the towns and solving their problems. And I have to say, in Dragon Quest 7, they got some pretty excellent stories there. And the all-trades obby story that went on for five hours wouldn't have been nearly as grating if I simply, if somehow they had worked out to where I at least got the beginning class for, classes first. I, maybe, you know, could have, I don't know, changed the story a little bit to where I've already got my first class. So I felt like that the 15 floors of dungeons I was going through was at least contributing to that progression. Um, once I, and then there's a gladiator freaking at the before you even get to all trades though after you get the 15 floors of dungeons there's gladiator battles you have to work through and tons more of npcs you have to talk to in the gladiator rings and all that story and you finally get there and you finally get to kick his ass and you finally get to talk to the after talking to a bunch more npcs and making another trip you finally get to talk to the real all trades priest and you finally get to do your classes and that i think i took a screenshot with my phone that was nearly 30 hours into the fucking game. 30 fucking... There are RPGs I have beaten in less time than that. And it's just beginning. It's just finally giving me the class system. It's so wrong. It teases you. It's a class... It's a class change tease. That's what it is. It's a tease. It's a tease. It flirts with you, and then it takes all your money, and it dashes away into the night. So... Yes, yeah. it does. It does. It does. I'm now further along. I've actually mastered my first set of classes uh, with the characters. I'm now working on their second basic class. Uh, and that's generally how these things will work. You, you know, you usually have to do a minimum of two or three basic classes, and that will unlock an intermediate class. And then if you want, if you do really good in an intermediate class or two or three, then you can unlock a heroic class. So there's a pyramid scheme going on there. Now, Phil. Oh, and re- and remember, the number of battles needed to master classes has been reduced in this version. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, Phil, I did all of this crap on the PS1 version. I, I can't I even imagine. Game. I can't even imagine because I would have killed something, especially with that All Trades Abbey Switch. Because I just I did play the first the PS1 version up through like the second or third island, and I was just done with its very methodical. I mean, the text was slow. The battles were slow. Just everything on top of the just the fact that you had those puzzly dungeons, especially that first one that just drug on for hours. So I can't imagine. No, no, I, I no, I no, I would have killed somebody. I mean, I I honestly don't know what was going through my mind when I played through the PS One version. I mean, that was drugs. I had a life, you know. I that wasn't like I played it when I was in college. When that was like all I did was video games and like go to classes. No, I played that. Well, I had a 40-hour job, and I don't honestly know how I got through that game. I think I might have been just listening to podcasts in the background or something, or I had YouTube videos going or something to kind of get through the slog. But I'm, I'm just curious to know what was going through the devs' head when they made this game as bloated as they did. It, it really does, like... You know, it does, there's, even with this 3DS version where they have sped up the class system, they got rid of the puzzly beginning dungeon, they shortcut it a lot. I'm sure there's other shortcuts underneath the hood. There's still, obviously, it still feels like there's some bloat going on there. 15 floors of dungeon coming out of Altrade's Abbey was about 12 too many. Uh, that could have been cut down. Did I need six gladiatorial matches? It wasn't even like they were that difficult, they were just time-consuming it's all the NPCs you have to talk to as well. And heaven forbid you miss like a critical one, then you're going to miss a puzzle piece and then good, good luck with that. Now, 
This one, the 3DS version, you might have heard this before, but it, it does have some really cool features as far as you can go back to the temple and talk to the little temple guy there who was not in the original, and he'll give you clues to where the next puzzle piece might be. There's also a really cool, here's what's happened so far journal thing going on. And that has helped me a few times, especially, you know, with some of the breaks that I've taken from it to be able to read through that and go, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember that happening. It's going to be great for writing a game journal. So it's nice having that there. And then, of course, you could talk with the party members and they'll give you hints on sometimes what to do next. Uh, With all that being said, there was one puzzle piece that I and it also has the puzzle piece locator. So you're in an area with one of the puzzle pieces that are critical for unlocking new lands and progressing the story, um, yes, it'll it, it light will up. Get, it will glow. It will glow brighter to clue you in. I'm close. It's right around here, rather than you having to wander all over the landscape. I yeah. again, I could never imagine how you guys did it without an FAQ. Anyways, you know how I did it. I, I sniped a guide off of eBay trying to get one for under forty dollars, just so that I could look up where all the puzzles were. Yeah. Did you yeah. find one? Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I found one. This was like back in, it was around when Dragon Quest Nine came out because I was marathoning the whole series. Oh no, I'm That's... sorry, I take that back. It was after Dragon Quest Six came out for the DS because. So that's that's something like oh nine ten. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that guide was not an e-find for a decent price, that's for sure. And, yeah, I, yeah, you definitely would have, just no no doubt about it. I mean, with that being said, it's, while that was, that whole, that whole all-trade thing had me raging in frustration, it, the stories are cool, and I keep going back, and there's definitely been plenty of times going through the different, different stories. It does feel like a progression in, in writing, uh, you know, obviously the, the, again, the family thing in Dragon Quest V was awesome. Um, but, but when it comes to what Dragon Quest does best, in my opinion, is those small story, ta- or the small story, or the, well, uh, the town stories. This one has really cool town stories. Um, and, and, and you know, I, I, I do enjoy going, okay, what's the next adventure going to be? Oh, what are they going to do now? Oh, and there's been some cool, cute little, you know, PlayStation 1 era twist to that. Um, so that's, that's, you know, it does keep pulling me back and I do, I am enjoying it despite the frustrations, despite the time sinkiness into it. Um, it is definitely, uh, something that if you're going to play, even on 3DS version, just understand it's going to take time. Lots and lots. Unless you're like a couple of people on our forums who'd like to chime in. Oh, I finished it in 50 hours or so because, uh, they're savants, I guess. Well, and I think... It might have been even Mr. Marpenter here. I think we were talking about, you know, on that blog about, you know, his resolution being trying to get through games faster because, you know, on the average, when he's comparing it to other people, well, that's me too. And I don't really do a ton of side questing, but I, I, I guess I play the normal. I read everything. I, I don't know, but I never get games done as fast as most other people. I, I'm the same way, Phil. Like, I, I've never been like 100% platinum games, but. Still, every time when I actually finish something and then I like look it up on how long to beat, like I'm much longer than everybody else, and I don't know why that happens. It, it really depends on the game for me. If it's something that I just can't put down, like Tales of Zillia Two or um, Twilight Princess was another one where I just don't want the game to end. I will do everything in a game. If it's something that's like I'm enjoying the story, but or enjoying one aspect but not the other, then I will critical path. Hmm. Hmm. 
Um, oh, and I do like how they change their clothes when they class change. That's always a major bonus. I like seeing my characters in different, you know, class-based clothing. Yes, that was not present in the original. No. I will say, I do like the gra- I mean, obviously, it's 3DS off of a PS1 game, so you're not going to get, like, super high-risk textures or grass blowing in the wind or anything along those lines. But I do like, I do like the cartoony gra- graphics. I feel like they were pretty well done. So, and of course, it's got that Dragon Quest charm to it, including Smiling Slime. How can you not like Smiling Slime? So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, enjoying, so, so far, kind of enjoying that. And that's my, that was, I think I mentioned that last show, part of my New Year's resolutions. Romancing Saga too. Now, here's what's funny. You talk about, you're feeling a little frustrated with Final Fantasy Tactics, might let it go. I'm agreeing with you, like, I think we're at that age where if you don't know, if a game's not clicking for you, it's not clicking for you. Move on. And Final Fantasy Tactics, Final Fantasy Tactics, Romancing Saga too. That was on my New Year's resolution. Do Romancing Saga too. Uh, and Dragon Quest Seven and Dragon Quest Eight, at least knock out those three, three epic RPGs. But Final Fantasy or Romancing Saga Two has not been clicking for me because it does a lot of that. T- well, it's it's doing a generational thing, and it's like hundreds of years. As you hit certain story based events, the game will fast forward 100, 150 years. Now, what's funny is I'm playing Dragon Quest Seven at the same time, which has a lot of time travel. And not that long ago, I beat Dragon Quest Five which has the family generational thing and going to romancing saga, you know, two, which is a was a super Nintendo game. Um, it, it's really pulled me out of the experience when the clock would fast forward a hundred years and I go and talk to NPCs in town, the exact same NPCs, including an old guy that in the year 1000 was like, I hope I live long enough to see the bridge be built. And then in the year 1152, I hope I live long enough to see the bridge. I'm like, damn son. You're still alive. <laughs> How do you do that? You should have been dead a long time ago. Or you plant a tree and it's and it, it's a little treeling and, and 152 years later, it's the exact same thing. Um, you know, or this lady's still looking for her son. And I, I, I get there were limitations maybe. I, I, you know, there's all the reasons in the world. It's just, it doesn't click for me. And and especially, hey, I'm a retro gamer. And, and if you're going to, you know, I've played other games like it. And fi- Dragon Quest V wasn't perfect. Dragon Quest Seven certainly isn't perfect, but at least for the most part, they cover those bases as far as like, yes, in the future, you have different NPCs and they say different things. The town even looks different. Um, it's 100 years or it's 200 years or it's 500 years. Things are going to change. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be William Shakespeare. I, I'm not looking for NPCs that have 10 paragraphs to. You know, I just look at, you know, it's a standard, it's an SNES RPG. They have one line each and you're used to that. And that's okay. Like, my, isn't the weather nice today? That's fine. Do something. But don't give me the same exact old guy who says the same exact, that just smacks of laziness. That's not a hardware limitation of the Super Nintendo cartridge. That just, that just smacks of, of laziness. So that's aside from the whole thing that when I found out that the, the game basically levels up with you. Now, what they've done in the... In the Switch version, this is a little bit of an enhanced version. Unfortunately, text enhancing of the NPCs was not part of the package. But if you you can do a new game plus mode where you will keep a lot of your your growth underneath the hood, but it will reset the 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 um, battle counter. But you are starting the game over, right? So, but you now have the leg up in that you have higher levels. The way the game works is is as you go through generations, you will be going through your party members like nobody's business. In romancing saga games, but especially in this one, death is permanent. When when your character gets KO'd, they lose a life point. 
when they lose all their life points and some monsters can attack their life points directly, you're dead, dead. 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 There's no coming back from that shiz. But that's where you go to your castle and you get another character. Well, Phil, that kind of sucks. Where's my progression? Well, underneath the hood, which it does not explain in the game, speaking of Final Fantasy Tactics, you have to fact this stuff. Underneath the hood, if your fighter, as your fight, as if you hire a fighter, you hire an archer, whatever, underneath the hood, it's keeping track of your class experience points. And there's like an overall global leveling system. You never see it. Uh, until you hire somebody else and you're like, oh, okay, they start off at level eight, so maybe my global level is seven or six because it adds, uh, you know, one or two or whatever. Uh, there's a formula. Again, very opaque. But uh, so there is progression. Even when your characters die, it, your, your, your characters are always contributing to these global pots. So that's where your progression comes in. Unfortunately for you, every time you get into a fight, the enemies have their own little global pot that's always progressing because they're leveling up whether you like it or not, every time you pick a fight. So that's where the new game plus mode, from what I understand the FAQ, can can pay off for you because it resets, essentially. But uh, I can see it having appeal to a certain small segment of gamers as far as if you just look at this not so much as an RPG with an overarching narrative that's supposed to draw you into the experience where you, you know, instead look at it more as a kingdom simulator or some sort or, you know, strategy-ish type of game. I can see some appeal in that. But, you know, like in strategy games, I, I don't generally read the story or listen to the story. I'm, I I want to get to the battles, and I want to farm big armies and execute strategies like civilization. You know, you just want to build big towns and build nukes and go nuke the other guy. In this game, I can see, okay, I just want to get through the generations, um, maximize my castle and classes and everything else so I can get to the end and, and just totally kick ass with the strategy I come up with. Yeah, I can see that. But you're going to have to read a lot of FAQ to even begin to figure this shit out because it's it's pretty opaque and it's not intuitive like Final Fantasy Tactics. Out. <laughs> Just bringing it home for you. Bringing it Just around. Bringing it, bringing it home for you. So there you go. Uh, and yes, uh, so and then this week, the, the release of Monster Hunter. I'm very excited. In case I haven't mentioned that before. Super excited. Lots of no friends idea. are going to be playing that. Yeah, I know, right? So if you're interested in playing with us, I got a number of friends who are jumping right on that. We're going to go out. We're going to do hunts. Unfortunately, on the release date, I'm playing D&D most of that day and most of Saturday. But, you know, after the D&D game's over, those nights, I'll be online. And Sunday, I'll be on all day. But you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at JC Servant, And I'll, I think my PlayStation handle is probably JC Servant or JC Servant 7 or something like that. But if you hit me up on Twitter, I'll respond to you and I'll look it up. Um, Mr. Michael Minky is at Jumisin. Jumisin? Jumisin. Jumisin. S-Y-N. At the end. As opposed to S-I-N, which is what I do every time I drink. Uh, and Miss, 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 Jelly Ryan, whatever your name is. What's your handle? Um, Red Rock 963. And uh, Mr. I Know Everything About the Last Game We Just Talked About. What's your handle? <laughs> it's J-Scarp. J-S-C-A-R-P. Yeah. Yeah. And, and... And our website is rpgamer.com. If you like the show, you're going to love our website. We're doing our it's, – it's, do we have an official launch date yet, by the way? Do you know? Of the new? No, I we don't have know. a date yet. I think it's supposed to go up when the Game of the Year awards go up, but I'm not sure when that will be. I feel like I'm just going to wake up one day and it's just going to be totally changed. But, but even, 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 even without the cosmetic overhaul and – what, well, it's going to be more than cosmetic. I mean, the whole site's being gutted in a way. But you've already started seeing a tone change, a change of tone, because you're seeing a lot more retro stuff on our site. So go and check it out. If you like this podcast, you like what we're doing there on the site. So go and, and, and read. Just like, 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 
someone just wrote something about his New Year's resolutions on his PSP backlog. So contribute to the conversation. I'm sure you'd like to talk about your backlogs too. We'd love to hear from you. So go and check it all out. Um, and thank you all for being on the show. Remind everybody that RP Gamer. RP, boy, yeah, we are all tired and drinking. RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Uh, check out all of our previous podcasts, as well as our sister shows, the RPG Cast, Active Topical Banter, and Q&A Quest, uh, and so much more over at RPGamer.com. Leave your thoughts and comments on our forums at forums.rpgamer.com, or hit us up on Twitter at the handles we just mentioned, or you can always tweet the entire staff at rpgamer uh, on twitter there we're at facebook.com forward slash rpgamer as well we'd love to hear from you mr uh mr miki would you like to put us to sleep i have a thought i have no idea how practical it is and i don't think falcom will actually go for it but maybe just maybe one day all of the falcom games which have never been released in english in any capacity whatsoever it will happen I'm not, that day will obviously not come soon but after we've seen that second chapter made it somehow even the, through its enormous quantities of text it's not impossible good night hey hey it's more likely to happen than sega putting out all three shining threes out thanks kelly that that's just gonna help me sleep even better i, I just gotta keep it real <laughs> <laughs>